The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast, presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. My guest on this episode is the editor-in-chief of Ring Magazine and RingTV.com, Mr. Doug Fisher. We talk about Doug's new gig as color commentator at DAZN for Golden Boy's Thursday Night Fights and how season one of that program went. We also talk about the big fight card this past week with uh, uh, Daniel Roman and Ahmed Aliyev, uh, Farmer Diaz and Andre Keeler fights, as well as DAZN's continued dalliance with fighting YouTubers. We further spoke about the good fights upcoming in February and beyond, as well as uh, Thomas Hauser's uh, really interesting three-part piece in the New York State Athletic Commission. It was a really great conversation. Hope you enjoy. It is my great pleasure to welcome back to the Boxing Esquire podcast the editor-in-chief of Ring Magazine and RingTV.com, uh, color commentator for DAZN and Golden Boys Thursday Night Fights and all around a fellow boxing nerd <laughs> like myself, <laughs> uh, Mr. Doug Fisher. Welcome back to the Boxing Guest Square podcast, Doug. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Awesome. Yes, boxing nerd and, and guilty as charged. <laughs> Probably so. Same here, man. Same here. Yeah. So. For at least, I'm trying to think how long have I been like a bona fide boxing nerd? <laughs> at le- hey, seriously, like at least uh, at least like 31 years. Like at least, <laughs> at least since 89. Maybe 88, 88, 89. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got a few years on you. I, I think I, I remember my dad had some sort of surgery, and I actually, uh, you know, I, I was a huge boxing fan, and and you know, I, my my mom let me go into the magazine rack, you know, as we were kind of waiting around, and I saw, I was like, whoa, it was a Ring magazine. It had, I think, it had Vito Anafermo on the cover, and I was just like, wow, boxing magazine. <laughs> Ooh, that's from nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty, <laughs> okay, seventy nine. Eighty. I think I have that one. You know, I think I have it, seriously. Yeah. Uh yeah. Seventy nine or eighty. Yep. And wow. and from that point on, like, you know, because I mean I was a huge boxing fan. I watched everything on TV before that, but then I started subscribing to like every magazine, KO and World yeah. Boxing and all yeah. of them. So that, that was the a, button, when official like, nerd started. Reading, when you start when you start when you start either subscribing to or, you know, if, if you live in an area where you can buy a number of boxing magazines and you start doing that every month, that at least back in the day, that's what made you a hardcore fan, right? Um, or that—that's how the bug bites you, right? And with me, I was just a, a, a Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard fan, right? Who kind of you know fell out of interest with the sport uh, after Ali retired and Sugar Ray retired, and it wasn't until Sugar Ray announced that he was coming back against Marvin Hagler that I felt like I have to. Read about this. I have to follow this road to this super fight, and um, you know I would go to the library and read the the East Coast newspapers or the mm. newspapers from like the Nevada, right? Reno right. And, and and Las Vegas. Wow. And I would boxing columnists. I'd read their stuff um, periodically, like you know two or three times a week. And then um, I found out in the mall there was a newsstand that carried Ring Magazine and KO. And Boxing 87 and whatever else was out at the time. I think Boxing Illustrated was out at the time. Right, right. Um, So I, I, I would buy them all. Yeah. And the money that I used to spend on comic books went to, to boxing magazines because <laughs> I had to read up on everything in the build up to that fight. And then after the fight, 
course, I was happy because my guy won. Right. And I didn't know if he was going to stick around boxing or not. But in reading about Hagler Leonard, I read about the other fighters that I missed out on. Right. And really, by I remember I remember this vividly. Um, by the end of the decade, they did a like a, in in eighty nine or like early nineteen ninety. They put out in uh, uh, Ring Magazine did a, an issue that just recapped the eighties. Mm. And I read through there, and I was like, man, I missed out on Hector Camacho, or I missed out on Donald Curry, or who's this Simon Brown? There's all these guys, you know what I'm saying? Like right. all these players that I kind of, I mean, I heard the names and stuff, you know, they were on TV, they're on network television, but I didn't make a point to watch them. Mm. So then I was like, man, I've, I've, I got to make up for lost time. I'm not going to miss their <laughs> next fights, you know? And then, you know, once once VHS tapes became more prevalent, it was like, all right, these this that fight that I missed I'm going to try to track it down, a VHS tape of it, you know? Right. And there were collectors and stuff, like in the back pages of the, the boxing magazines. Yes. You write them a letter and send them a check or a money order, and you have to wait, you know, wait wait a while, but then you'd get this box, and you're like, oh, my God, I got them all. I'm, I, I get to catch up on all these fights that I, I slept on. And that, and then when you do that, forget about it. Right, you're, right, you're right. life. Forget it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Big, big stack of VHS tapes. Yeah. And then it's, I mean, I, I had a big stack as well. And yeah. just a couple of years ago, it was, it was like really sad. It's funny because I, I had actually gone, um, when, uh, the, the boxing writers dinner was here, they had an auction one year and, um, you know, Bill Caton and Steve Lott's, uh, big fights, um, incorporated had like a, like a ton of the, like old fights on VHS. And I, I, I just, I didn't care what I was going to bid. I was going to get it <laughs> and, <when> I, <laughs> and I got it, but then it was like, you know, uh, you know, I don't, I haven't had a VCR in a long time. So I, you know, right. eventually I, you know, I probably should have sold them, but yeah, yeah, I, I didn't wow. <laughs> I just got rid of them with the rest of the VHS. So, oh gosh, that's bad. Oh, that's bad. Well, listen, you know, I wanted to talk to you about, um, uh, and I wanted to commend you uh, on your work with uh, Jonathan Coachman uh, on the Thursday Night Fights. You guys are a great team, man. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I think the first season was really good, um, mostly because of the matchmaking. I think the main event and at least the co-feature fights, they were, they, were, they were evenly matched. Even if one guy was a huge betting underdog, that wasn't the case. Like we had with Toriano Johnson versus Jason Quigley. That should not have been I, – I don't know what kind of a, uh, an underdog – Johnson was, but I think it was more than 10 to 1. Oh so if you goodness. bet on Johnson, you cleaned up. Right. But there were a lot of upsets. It gave us Blair the Flair Cobbs. Yes. And he came in as the B-side, as as the underdog to Ferdinand Corobian. Um, and I think that was either the first or the second show. I actually think it was the first one um, last March. And there were a number of upsets. There was this uh, two-time Argentine Olympian who got beat by just some kid out of Tijuana. Um I think uh, Ulysses Ortiz. Uh, sorry, uh, Ulysses. Uh, what's the guy's name from uh, Canada? He's like a junior welterweight. Oh, Eve, Eve, Eve Ulysses. Is that it? Eve's. Yeah. Yeah. Eve's. Eve Ulysses. Ulysses Junior. Yeah. He had a tough rematch with Claggett, and then uh, he got he got beat by Ismael Barroso. Yeah. In the last show of the first, I think in, that was December, as a matter of fact. And there's a lot of cases of that, and, and if they weren't defeated. They were extended and pushed extremely hard, like uh, Manny Robles the third was against his opponent, who was kind of under the radar, kind of unknown. And I liked that about the series. Now, the first one of this season, the one that we, we had this month, or sorry, last month, um, not that good. 
Um, you know, Jason Quigley was in the, the, the main event and I love Jason and I, and I get it. They got to be careful with him because the nature of that first loss was so punishing physically. You got to wonder about the physical and psychological residue from that kind of a defeat. So they're being careful bringing him back, but still he was in the main event and, um, there was no doubt that he was going to win and win by knockout. And that's, that, that's how all three car, uh, all three bouts on that particular card went and they were early rounds blowout. So I, I don't like to see that, but generally speaking, I know Robert Diaz with, with Golden Boy Promotions does a really good job, takes a lot of pride in the matchmaking. Um, so I'm, I'm expecting the, the series to get back to the high standards. Absolutely. No, I mean, I, you know, and I've said this on the pod before, like Golden Boy, you know, say what you want about Golden Boy, but they make great fights, man. They really do. They really do. Yeah. They don't, and, uh, they don't babysit guys for long. I mean, right. I, I mean all prospects, you know, the, ironically, the blue chippers, the better amateur they are, the more protection they get because there's more people who've invested money in right. them. They have managers that are going to really fight for them and right. really look out for them. Absolutely. And sometimes they go overboard, and I see it all the time. Uh, but generally speaking, if you're just like some regional kids, you know, some kid who had like, you know, 50 to 60 amateur bouts and, you know, maybe you were a junior amateur champion or, you know, just somebody like a like an also ran in the major open class national tournaments or whatever. You sign with Golden Boy, you can expect to be matched pretty tough by like maybe your ninth, 10th or 11th pro fight. Like there's there's a there's a training wheel period. There's a developmental period where you go from four to six rounders. But by the time you're ready to step up to eight rounders. They're going to put you in with some some tough guy, usually from south of the border, right? And, and that's and that is you know, anytime you get matched with those tough kids from south of the border, <laughs> look out. Yeah, I, and and a lot of times you can't judge those guys absolutely. on the quality of their opposition or uh, or their records, right? Because I tried doing that. The guy that uh, I can't think of the guy's name. He's actually fighting. He's actually fighting the guy from Argentina. And he was one of these these um, experienced amateurs, turned pro in like late 20s or whatever, and was being moved really quickly. Um, I think he's fighting Oscar Negrete on the next card. And it's a pretty decent matchup. Uh, I know who you're talking about because I, I think I saw the fight where he recently he got beat. It was just a couple months ago, right? And it's, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. I'm blanking on it too. Yeah. So much for being boxing nerds, man. We were like well, totally. You know what? There's so much boxing. It's yeah. Alberto Melian. Yes. Al- Alberto. I think that's what it is. That's the guy. And Alberto just, I mean, he just fought some guys. <laughs> just fought some dude. Let me see. I think Melian, as a matter of fact, is an is an amateur rival of Negrete. I think maybe they split fights in the amateurs. Um. Goodness gracious. Alberto Melian. I'm just trying to find the name of this guy. I mean, he was nobody that Melian faced. Melian was a huge betting favorite. This guy's name was Leonardo Baez. Mm. And he had two losses. And if you looked at his record, all his fights were like in Tijuana. And if, you know, the guys he were fighting had just a handful of fights. Um, and anytime you fought a guy with like a, a winning record, he lost. Right. 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 So you're figuring, okay, we know what's happening here. Not the case. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he went out there like gangbusters and it was a hell of a fight. And Melian hung tough and battled back. But, you know, despite that extensive amateur background, Melian only had five pro, pro bouts and right. it told over the second half of a 10 rounder. But right. it was a hell of a fight. That's the thing. It was good programming. 
and the A side was not necessarily guaranteed a victory. Right. And I, I mean, making. I'm not going to criticize it. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, they they've got a you know Yamaguchi Falco had a, had a couple of tough fights. <laughs> you know, the the middleweight, the the medalist uh, from Brazil. Yeah, he was a bronze medalist. Yeah, and it, what he, right. he got beat by Pearson, and then he got uh, beat by uh, Dimitri. Or no, no, it was a draw with Demetrius Ballard. I thought Ballard yeah. won the fight, but yeah, same uh, here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they've 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 matched it really well. Um, what's it wor- what's it like working with Coach? You know, even I mean, how tall is that guy? <laughs> he's great. He's a big dude. He's at least six four, maybe six five. I mean, you know, he's one of those guys. He was, he was a, a WWE commentator broadcaster but he would get inside the the ring you know he would he would do some pro wrestling himself mm. and you got to be big and strong to, to to rumble with those guys even though it's scripted right um he's he's um he's a he's a pro's pro he's very he's professional he has very high standards for everybody around him so the producers and the director they have to be on their p's and q's because that's what he's used to coming from his background working with, with espn right. and, and more more to the point, WWE. They everything is top of the line with WWE in terms of production value, and he he, um, he understands the showbiz side of boxing, and I and I think he he likes that. He he, he encourages it in in the fighters. Um, he's definitely into boxers that have um, flair about them, like like Blair Cobbs. And um, but he's I mean, he's learning. I mean, he doesn't pretend to be uh, an expert in, in boxing. I mean, he is the he's the broadcast veteran. And that's what he really brings to the show is this um, a gregarious, high energy, positive host. And then for the boxing nerd stuff, he turns to the geek sitting next to him. And that's me. <laughs> and then we have Edo Duran, who's a broadcast veteran himself, even though he's kind of young. And he's got that 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 energy too. He's got that real positive energy, and and he's an excellent play by play, blow by blow host himself. So, he's great um, between rounds with the anecdotes and the inside information and the information from the cornermen and all that kind of stuff. No, no, it's great. It's great. Yeah, I definitely like Coach. He's he's uh, you know he's he's really solid, really uh, a pro. You know, and like you said, I mean, he doesn't have an agenda going in. He's you know he calls the fights as as he sees them. So. Um, you know, it's uh, it's definitely refreshing. It's a, you, know, you guys are a good team. And I think he speak. I mean, if you're somebody who's, uh, you know, like it's it's those shows are streamed on um, you know various social media platforms with Golden Boy and with uh, with the Ring. It's on RingTV.com, but it also goes out either live or on a tape delay basis to regional sports networks all across the country. Right, that's where I see so, it. <laughs> yeah, if you're yeah, you probably see it on the MSG network, right? right exactly. Yeah, so it's an MSG network out there and out here it's Spectrum. And uh but in other, you know, it, it, I think it's on Comcast in the Midwest and stuff like that. But if you know, if you're somebody who's watching in like Lincoln, Nebraska or whatever and you're not like somebody who really follows boxing closely, I think Coachman is a good co- uh good host to have because he doesn't get too caught up in, in boxing politics and all the minutiae and all that kind of stuff. It sometimes right. pushes away the casual fan. Right, absolutely. And his delivery is kind of like the delivery that you would expect from somebody who calls football or uh, or golf or, or whatever else. He's right. kind of got that, that general sports delivery. Yeah, and I no, think no, that helps. Think absolutely, yeah. He's a pro. He's a pro, and it, yeah. you know, he's, he's, uh, I, I like his style. He's, he's done really well because, you know, Sometimes, you know, guys who, who just do general sports, sometimes they don't adjust so well with boxing. I mean, sure. I don't know. I mean, uh, 
I forget his name, but was that guy named Myers for, for on Fox? I wasn't a big. I fan know who of. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of an old head, and just uh-huh. really never grasped the sport, and said some really ridiculous things. Just <laughs> kind of all right, you know. They, I think they got rid of him. He's not there anymore. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I think so. But coach, coach is awesome. So. So hey man, let's talk about uh boxing and and what's happened uh recently. I mean, it's you know, it's kind of a slow start to the year, but um some really good fights uh during the week. Um you know, you get a chance to see uh was it MJ uh Akhmadaliev against uh, Daniel Roman, the the number 1 uh junior featherweight in the ring's ratings. That's uh, true, and he earned it. Yes. He earned it. I mean, unified he fought his way up those rankings and uh, he was the only unified title holder. In the 122-pound division, he's a local guy. I like him a lot. I root for him because I knew about him when he was fighting on Thompson Boxing club shows off TV. And he's one of those guys who wasn't expected to do much in this sport. And um, definitely an overachiever. And I thought he, he, I thought he and MJ just battled a, a beautiful fight. I mean, that was quality stuff. It was boxing. It was boxing, and it was fighting. Right. And, and a lot of ring generalship from, from both men. And I thought, uh, I, I couldn't tell this from some of the DAZN commentary, I thought they were ebbs and flow to this, this battle. I thought it was seesaw. I thought it was back and forth all the way to the final bell. And I thought it could have gone either way. Um, I, was, I was fine with Akhmedaliev winning a decision, a split decision. But I thought it was a seven rounds to five type of fight. Either way, it could have been a draw. Or either either guy deserved to win by one or two points. That's how I saw the fight. Um, so you know nothing. It, it's it's. I, I don't think Roman needs to hang his head down in shame. And I hope um, I hope they have a rematch. I hope that there or I hope that he gets uh, another title shot soon, or at least a high pro, profile bout very soon, because I think he's a quality operator in there. And he's a wonderful human being. Yeah, absolutely. You could tell in the, in the interview, I mean, uh, after the fight, too. Just a really humble kid, hardworking kid, no excuses. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, you know, um, yeah, the commentary, it, it seemed like they, they were kind of, you know, hyping the, you know, the the, the, the great prospect in, in, in yes. MJ. Um, but, I mean, the, the last half of the fight especially, I mean, MJ, would the first two minutes of every round, he was doing absolutely nothing. I mean, he was just yep. like – you know, not like, and he wasn't letting Ramon do a lot, but Ramon right. was fighting three minutes around, and he, he was, was he was landing great body shots, you know, and he'd, he'd pick him off with a with an uppercut or a, a hook every once in a while. Yeah, and uh, you know, Aquadalia was very smart and cagey, and that he would try and steal rounds right at the end with some flashy stuff. Yeah. Um, every round was closely contested <laughs> in that fight. Yeah, I would yeah. so like to see that one again. That's you know, it, it wasn't a rock'em sock'em robots type fight, but I would still make that like you know the the, the initial entry of like a fight of the year type candidate because it was just so yeah. well contested. Well, it was definitely it was quality stuff. It right. was quality work from both sides, and I agree with you. I, I like the the consistency, the offensive consistency from from Roman and. Um, I, I don't think he got enough credit for the body attack as he should have, but we see that often. Right, and it shouldn't be the case in professional boxing. But generally speaking, a good body shot really doesn't get recognized unless it causes the opponent, the the receiver, to at least wince in pain. Right. right. Otherwise, I think a lot of judge, uh, professional judges, which is sad, I think they miss it or they just overlook it, or they don't rate it as much as like a, a good stiff jab. And I don't. I don't think I don't or, think that or, should, or like a solid headshot, right? I mean, it should count as much as like a head snapping, you know, 
headshot. That's what I think. Yeah. You know, unless it's unless it's a straight jab to the body, when you land a, a good body shot, that's a power shot. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's recognized as such, but um, it seldom is. Like I said, unless it causes a, a, a very noticeable reaction. Right. From the receiving fighter. It's a great point. And that's, that's not, I don't think that's fair at all, but it is what it is. Um, I want to see both these guys. I want to see them in again. And I think, um, I think Roman will fight with more of a sense of urgency. I think he'll start faster. Um, and I think Akhmedaliev will probably stand his ground a little bit more because he's the defending champion now and he's got that confidence and he knows he can fight a hard 12 rounds against a, a world-class opponent. And I actually think this would be one of those instances where the rematch would be better than the first fight. And that's saying something. Right, right, right. I'm trying to think, who has Ak- Akhmedaliev? Which, which promoter has him? Any idea? That's a good question. That's a good question. I know that... Uh, yeah, I just know that he's 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 trained by Joel Diaz. He's part of what I call the Uzbeki clan out there in Indio, California. Um, and they all have different. He might maybe he's managed by Kornilov. Maybe Vadim Kornilov is uh, the manager for all these guys. And I honestly, you know, I don't know who MJ's promoter is. Maybe he's a free agent. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, because I've seen him on. Um you know, wasn't he on Triple G's undercard in his last fight? Gosh, one of these guys were. <laughs> there's a bunch <laughs> of them. Cause there's Madrimov. I'm pretty sure Israel Madrimov was on a Triple G card in New York City recently. Um, and then oh, no, there's you're that right, guy, you're right. Giasov. I know Giasov. I think Giasov is with – he's like a junior – I think he's a junior welterweight or maybe a welterweight. Shakram Giasov, guy with long arms. I know he's an Eddie Hearn guy. I right. wonder if MJ is with uh, is with Eddie Hearn. That yeah, would be interesting. Yeah, I, I I really don't know because yeah, I'm, I'm looking at his record here, and he's fought on matchroom cards. Maybe his last. Yeah, three I'm fights, wondering if, if Eddie's been watching him. Yeah, has been keeping an eye on him because he's already got Giasov. Right. And uh, and then there's Beck Bully, yes. Melikusiev, who Golden Boy recently signed, and he's he's a big boy. He's like a. A light heavyweight slash super middleweight, and I'm I'm pretty high on him as well. Absolutely. They're all good. I mean, the, the amateur <laughs> yeah. background, they're 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 rugged, they're durable dudes, they're athletic, and they're being trained by by seasoned professionals who are prize fighters themselves, right. Joel and Antonio Diaz, and those guys are those guys are tough. You can oh, talk yeah. to Tim, Timothy Bradley about. This. Those guys are hard on their fighters. They don't baby anybody. <laughs> and these, but these these Uzbekis, they don't want to be babied. It's crazy though. I I think like this, you know, I see this a lot. You know, these guys get pushed. You know, I mean, this kid only had like seven fights, and he's fighting the number one, you know, hundred and twenty two pounder in the world. I mean, just you know, with with my manager's hat on. I mean, I know these kids have a ton of natural ability, and 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 they've been groomed for so many years, but. I don't know, man. You know, I mean, he he definitely struggled down the stretch of that fight. He very well could have lost that fight. You know, That's true. I mean, I, I think you know these guys need to back off a little bit with these Eastern European I think with guys. Some of them, yeah, with <laughs> some of them. Well, give them a okay, few more I, fights, I, man. Give them at on least one like hand, fifteen you fights. Got, <laughs> yeah, you have the success of Vasily Lomachenko, so a lot of promoters and even some managers think, oh, I've got the next Lomachenko. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not going to have to wait long until this guy's a champion. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a return on my investment as soon as possible. Right. Um, and and some promoters even think that way, which they shouldn't. But right. I think uh, in a lot of cases, it's their age. A lot of these guys are turning pro in their mid to late twenties. 
Right. And they're thinking, okay, we got to – we got to match these guys tough as soon as they're able to. And, and so they know they're mature. It's not like they're teenagers. It's not like they're growing into their man strength. They are men. Right. And they've basically been semi-pro for several years True. as experienced amateurs on these national teams. And a lot of them have the World Series of Boxing experience as well. So they're like, you know, we shouldn't have to baby them. You know, that combined amateur and semi-pro experience is like having 20 fights or 15 fights or something like that. So they think about it like that. And I noticed with Giasoff. Eddie Hearns kind of carefully, kind of tested him a few times, and when he saw Giasoff struggle against some gatekeepers, um, trying to think of the guy who um, kind of put it on Giasoff a little bit, didn't get credit from the official judges. I think it was Emmanuel Taylor. Yes, Emmanuel Taylor. Yep. Gave Giasoff a tough fight. It was last March at the Forum in Inglewood, and I noticed Eddie Hearn backed off a little bit and is is developing Giasoff the way you would a normal prospect. But Giasoff also turned pro um, at an earlier age than these other guys. Giasoff, I think, turned pro at like 23, 22, 23. Yeah, you know, he's, like, tw- he's 26 you know. now. The, you know, yeah. You, you don't okay. have to rush him. And I think MJ right. is 25, though. That's the thing. Oh, he's not. You know what? Then I don't know why they needed to rush him. <laughs> I, well, here's, and here's another factor. I think MJ was the WBA's mandatory or number one in the WBA. Right. So sometimes the the sanctioning organizations are complicit in the rushing of a of an experienced amateur because they buy into the hype right and well so but i got, mean but that, that's that's on the promoters the and the managers though because he wouldn't have been in an eliminator or or whatever yeah. unless they they put him in it so yeah i'm sure they were lobbying the wba but i'm sure the wba is thinking okay well the guy was a world amateur champion or whatever so yeah let's move him quick you know that right. kind of thing right yeah well you know i guess uh it worked out this time, you know. He he won. He obviously has a lot of a lot of skill, a lot of talent. But you know, I, I would have definitely maybe uh, given him at least you know three or four more fights at the world class level to to uh, to mature and you know be able to just kind of mentally handle you know ten twelve rounds. I mean, you know, I was kind of you know close. I mean, I I I was involved with Sergey Derevyanchenko at the beginning of his career and, uh-huh. and and so on. And he was like you're talking about a guy who kind of turned pro late. Who had like a ton of uh, World Series of Boxing fights? Yeah, didn't he have more than twenty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he only lost one to Brian Castaño, which in a very, wow. very close fight. If you that's impressive. Go watch that on YouTube. It's a, it's an absolute war between those. Yeah, two. I was gonna say, I bet that's a good fight. <laughs> yeah, I, I like. Yeah, I like how how those styles match up. I'll have to check that out on YouTube. But I but I know even with Sergey, like you know, just the thought of going ten rounds, you know, it's 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 more a mental thing. You know, and, yeah. and, and 12 rounds especially, too. It's it's definitely a mental thing. And you could tell with that MJ kid, you know, he was definitely conserving energy and, like, just, you know, being, a, you know, like, just, you know, fearing that you're going to get tired and and, and, and so on. You know, it's 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 that's why you, you know, take time with these guys and, and build I, gradually. I agree with you. Yeah. I, and, and that's why I, I slightly favored Danny Ramon in that fight because right. he's had hard 10 and 12 round fights. Yes. Back to back to back. And he's so well schooled. I, I love watching that kid fight, man. Just the way he puts punches together and and judges distance and and nothing defends. flashes either. He's not right. like elite class in terms of speed, power, right. reflexes, or anything like that. He's not like a, a a great natural talent or natural athlete. Right. But because of that, he he's become a well rounded fighter. He's a right. complete. Oop! You cut out. 
to drop off? I was, I was just saying, you know, he's not a, he wasn't an, a super talent. He's not like right. a natural athlete or a natural boxing talent and doesn't have like elite level speed, power reflexes and all that kind of stuff. But because of that, he learned his craft well. He's yes. a well-rounded boxer. Yes. He's a complete fight. And he's fun to watch because of that, too, because he's got the right mentality. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, also on that card, we had uh, Jojo Diaz finally, uh, you know, winning that world title in his in his third uh, shot against Tevin Farmer. Um, that was a, it was a it excellent was a, performance by Jojo. Excellent performance. I thought after that cut, I was like, I almost left the room because I was like, <laughs> this kid is snake bitten. He cannot win a world title, yeah. man. Like, forget it. Like, yeah. there's just something the 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 universe is out to get this kid because that cut looks so horrible. Oh yeah, I think Cliff rolled it as pornographic, and that was spot on. By the way, <laughs> it was just—I mean, that's a gash. I mean, that was that was a gaping head wound. Yes, and it's on his eyelid. You know, it's above his eye, and it's just—I was like, how is he going to overcome this? But uh, to, to a certain extent, he had a willing participant in Tevin Farmer, yeah. who stayed in the pocket more than he should have. I thought I thought that Farmer needed to stick and move because. Uh, Jojo has trouble with lateral movement. But if you stand in the pocket with him, you stay in range. Diaz has got quick hands. He's a yeah. good counter puncher. He's a good body puncher, too. Doesn't have world-class power, but he puts his punches together well. And judges can hear the snap on his shots, too. He's got some some torque. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was such a, like, the, the, the work in the corner of, of Farmer's Corner was just just horrible like their strategy you know i mean it's pretty obvious that diaz yeah like you said diaz runs shots i mean you when you get inside with him you know he throws like four or five six punches you're not gonna be able to get away from them all and he's he's really talented if you if you're gonna stay in the pocket with him that's his fight and that's not farmer's fight um and and they're like oh you got to be aggressive you got to be aggressive and it's like that's you you know if i've learned anything in managing fighters it's like you yeah. know, it, when you're in big fights, you bring your A game. You do the thing you do right. best. And if the guy beats you, you, you tip your hat. Yes. Yeah. Don't fight out of character. In yes. Other words. That's, not the, that's not the time to fight out of character. Right. Exactly. No, I agree. <laughs> I have to think that Farmer and or his, his corner underestimated Diaz's character and resolve just a little bit. And they right. were thinking, like, we can break this kid. Right. We can get we can get in this kid's chest and we can seize his heart and we can take over this fight and it didn't happen, right? Yeah, with the, it, it's funny too. With you know, Te- Tevin did look a little bit off, and I mean, you know, Lou DiBella, his promoter, like had him go to the uh, to the he took him straight to the hospital because yeah, his eyes were. Yeah. I mean, we you know he's got the kind of cross eyed thing, but his eyes were like yeah. rolling in his head and he was like shuddering a little bit. In between, he was rounds. blinking a lot and yeah. he was um it was like these involuntary uh, involuntary nods almost like he was eating an uppercut right and right. it was just it was happening after the fight too even you know after after the uh, official decision was announced as he walked back to his corner his head was was nodding uncontrollably right so i yeah. was thinking maybe he pinched a nerve or something like that yeah yeah someone had said he has ticks like he might have tourette's or something i had never heard that before so i don't know if they were just like guessing or something but um no that's definitely guessing yeah yeah it's, I'd never seen that before. Guess. I mean, I think, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a bit. I did, but honestly, I didn't notice it until really late in the fight. Mm. It wasn't noticeable to me until like maybe around the eighth round, and then I started noticing it. And by that time, you know, the commentators had picked up and they were talking about it. So, and I did notice it. I don't know how if it was a, a, a huge factor in the fight. I was thinking more. You know, he, he kept dropping hints all week. 
via social media and in articles and during interviews that he had maybe one or two more fights at 130 pounds. And when a boxer says that, that means they're struggling to make that weight. So I wondered if maybe he, he drained himself making the junior lightweight limit. Yeah, he looked really flat. There, there wasn't a lot of energy, you know. I mean, usually he's a kid who, who is bopping around the ring and you know clowning and and you know definitely giving you some some head movement and all that. And like none of that was was present in the fight. I mean, he tried. He definitely stayed in there when they told him to be aggressive. He got on the inside and, and was winging big shots, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, I definitely don't want to take anything away from Diaz because it very well may have been Diaz's body attack just took it out of him. You know? Yep. Um, but yeah, it, it looked pretty, you know, it was kind of a flat performance from Farmer and, and, and just a really efficient and energetic performance from Diaz who really wanted it, you could tell. Um, so, you know, credit, credit to JoJo. So, I mean, junior lightweight is absolutely stacked, you know, I mean, that, that's such an exciting division. You just hope that... The politics of the sport doesn't get in the way, but I mean, man, there's just so many great fights to make it that weight. I mean, who would you like to see? Yeah, the, you don't in have a perfect world. You don't have to break into Fort Knox to pay these guys. <laughs> you know, you don't have to overpay right. junior lightweights the way maybe you do for the the glamour divisions like middleweight and right. welterweight and certain heavyweight. Um, but yeah, the politics needs to be set aside because. You got guys like Jamel Herring and Miguel Burchell who are doing business with Top Rank and ESPN and well, you know, Frampton and Valdez. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Big names. Uh, Cancio just went to Top Rank, so he'll right. be um, on the ESPN side of the street. Um, but yeah, so you got Diaz and Farmer with the zone. Uh, I guess Renee Alvarado, he's right. got a working relationship with, with Golden Boy. Actually, he is a Golden Boy fighter, so I guess he's in the mix on, on the zone. I'm trying to think of. Who else is out there at junior lightweight? They just lost Tank Davis. Right. Well, um, Leo Santa Cruz, right? Didn't he just I'm come guessing, up? I'm guessing Burchelt's going up to 135 pretty soon, too. He's right. going to be fighting. Oh, Burchelt's going to be fighting Oscar Valdez, right? right. That's the fight they're going to make for right. the WC title, yeah? Great fight. Right. But I'm thinking whatever happens in that fight, Burchelt's going. He's so big. Yeah. He's so athletic. I'm thinking he's going up to 135 very soon. Right. Um, but Santa, yeah, I'd love like to see Santa like, Cruz, uh, right? Santa Cruz just moved up to 130, yeah. and that, that's such He's a great just, fight for LA. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. Um, and the young guy uh, with the PBC, Chris Colbert. Right, right, right. It's a 130 Yeah. The artist formerly known as Lil B Hop. I forget what his new nickname is, but. Right. <laughs> Prince? Primetime? Something like yeah. that. Prime he, time, he changes yeah. his name. Like to change his hair color. <laughs> but I like him. I mean, he was kind of boring against Jezreel Corrales, but Corrales will make anybody look bad. That's a very, that's a funky rhythm and style to deal with. And uh, obviously, Corrales had a lot of experience in there as well. But um, I like what I see from Colbert. Um, I, li- I like 130 because there's a variety of styles. I like that. And you have a lot of guys who are kind of like at or near the same level. Right, 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 right. Well, I, I think, to, to my mind, like, you know, if, if you know, in a strictly Golden Boy uh, matchup, um, you know, if if Zhu Can wanted to move up one weight class and take on Jojo Diaz, I would be all for that. <laughs> he could do it. He could do. He, uh, he that guy's huge. Now he has no power. Right. Exactly. The guy is not a puncher, but he is a volume puncher. Man. And yeah. You know what I like about the the, the Chinese? He's not a Chinese star yet. He's a big name in China yet, but if he keeps winning. You know, fingers crossed. Hopefully, he can become that because boxing can always use like a national idol, right. um, wherever you know, whatever part of the world they hail from. 
But um, what I like about Zhu Can is his punch selection. He's a volume puncher, and he like smashes CompuBox records, right? But his his technique and his punch placement, he's really thinking about where those shots are going, and he's accurate for such a like somebody who's throwing a, you know a salvo every time he lets his hands go, and he's got the durability. It seems like it seems like he's got the chin ability to support that type of like little Antonio Margarito style of just stalking a guy and just overwhelming them with volume. Yeah, he's definitely he's one of my favorite fighters. I mean, my, my all-time favorite fighter is uh, Frank the Animal Fletcher, who was the same way. He didn't have any power, but all he did was swarm you yeah. and throw, like, you know, uh, until you fell, he'd throw, like, you know, 100 punches around. Yeah, and he's fierce, too. Yes. Yeah, Animal Fletcher, he, 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 was, a, he was a bit wild, but, I, yeah, very aggressive. <laughs> So yeah, man. Listen, jo- like Jojo. Uh, you know, let's let's hope he gets some big fights. Um, you know, Gary Russell's also talked about moving how up and waiting. How long do you think he's going to be out? How, how long do you think it takes a cut like that to heal? He's got to be. I mean, at least. I mean, he's got, he's got to stay out of the gym for out, at least like, no a couple months. I mean, that that was. I mean, I, I was yeah. glad that none of neither of my daughters walked into the room when that cut happened because I was just like, I, I almost I couldn't look at it. It was almost like to the bone. It was just really. Ugh, yeah, no, it was nasty. Now, gross. You saw layers. I mean, you saw like the muscle slice. Yes, yeah, it was exactly. disgusting. So I'm guessing we don't see him at least six months. Yeah, that would be smart. I mean, he really needs some time off to let that thing heal properly because that's the last thing you want is is it for it to open up like in in, in every subsequent f- fight. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, happy for JoJo. You know, he seems like a really good kid, and and uh, you know, there should yes. be some great fights for him at at, at, at junior lightweight. So, uh, looking forward to that. Now, the main event was uh, Boo Boo Andre and and uh, Luke Keeler, and uh, that one, you know. Andre is one of those guys who it seems like everyone's avoiding, but I kind of wonder why. You know, I mean, he's 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 he's, he's very skilled. I mean, I, I get know, that right? he doesn't look like a world beater, right? Yeah, he's yeah. not Superman. And when he has taken tough fights, I mean, didn't he beat Vonis by like a split decision? And you know, Jack Colke yep. dropped him. I mean, what are these guys afraid of? You yeah, know? I think Vonis dropped him. I think Vonis yeah. caught him. Right, <laughs> like in the first round. Right. Right. I mean, you know, I yeah, mean, I he's think, good, but he's not like, I mean, he's very beatable, I, I, I think. I mean, he's, you know. I don't blame, I don't blame guys like Canelo and Triple G for kind of like just overlooking him just because it's just, he just hasn't done anything. I mean, this has to be one of the most undistinguished middleweight title reigns in history. Right. I mean, if you ask Demetrius, like, can you name the guys you've defended that WBO title against? He probably can't. <laughs> I'm guessing he can. He'd be like, oh, there was the African guy, Cotton Doc something, and then there was a Russian guy. Uh, his first and last started with the letter A, and then, uh, oh, Sulecki, okay, I remember him. Okay, he's a real contender, right? Yeah, uh, the Polish guy and uh, this last guy, Keebler. Keebler Elf, yeah, him. I I stopped him. Like it's like, what is that? You know, yeah. but it, it, you know, in his defense, I don't think legit top ten contenders want to fight him because it's a very difficult style. Right. Uh, and then there are somebody like Canelo. It's like you know, if you look at, you know, I don't know. It's like I I, I get into arguments with people on Twitter, and you know, they say, well, Canelo and Triple G, they're duckers, and it's a disgrace. They won't fight Jamal Charlo or. And one of these guys, and I was arguing with him um, during this fight, as a matter of fact, Thursday night. 
And I said, are you even watching the Andrew? And he wouldn't answer me. I was like, I was like, what round are we in right now? Are you watching the Andrew fight? Because I mean, I don't think they're avoiding this guy because they're scared of him. Okay, I think they're just like this guy is like he looks like Scooby Doo on roller skates. It's just that's going to be an ugly. Fight. He doesn't bring anything to the table. He does not bring a dedicated fan base. It's not like you know Canelo and Triple G. They had each other. You know Canelo, a bona fide superstar. And Triple G, a bona fide track. Triple G, a guy who could sell out Madison Square Garden and the Forum. So both coasts and even go to London and sell out the O2 Arena. So he's got fans. People know who he is. Um, there's some reward that comes with that risk of both those guys fighting each other. And I love I love Jamal Charlo. I love watching him fight. I think he I think I actually think he makes for a fight in Texas against either Golovkin or Canelo. I think those that's a big event in Texas. But he's, fight, he's fighting nobody. There's got to be better fighters than these guys are fighting. You know, there's got to be better guys than Brandon Adams. There's got to be better guys. Um, who was the junior middleweight that Hogan, uh, Dennis Jamal Hogan. Charlo just fought? Dennis Hogan. See, that doesn't seem to it doesn't. And, and saying, well, Dennis Hogan deserved a decision over Jaime Munguia. So what? <laughs> who cares? Who saw a fight? And by the way, who saw Charlo versus Hogan? Right. What did that peak at for Showtime? Two hundred seven. It was low. It was low. So, 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 so Canelo has to fight that guy? So like, like Canelo, one of Canelo's poor pay-per-views, okay? Like Canelo versus Liam Smith, right? right. Liam Smith, who's like, not even a big shot in Britain, right? He's nobody in Texas. Right. Totally unknown. <laughs> but Canelo can still do 50000 at Jerry's World, okay? In Arlington, Texas. And the pay-per-view did at least 300,000 pay-per-view buys, if not three fifty, right? Right. So Canelo's doing more buys than Charlo is doing views on Showtime. <laughs> it's like, Really? These guys need to, like, bend over backwards for you? It's like, I don't know. And then yeah, I, I, I don't know what to believe. You, you have La Jolla saying that Golden Boy made a lucrative offer to Charlo. Eddie Hearn's always saying that he's offered Charlo, like, what is it, $7 million to yeah. fight Andrade? Yes. And these fights still aren't happening. And I'm kind of like, listen, I like why Charlo fight. I like, personally, like, I like Andrade. I like his personality. That's the one thing he would bring to a promotion. It doesn't bring fans. But he would bring – he doesn't bring like an entertaining fight. It wouldn't be a fun fight to watch. Right. But at least during the buildup of the fight, he'd be an interview because he is a good interview. I like talking to the guy. Um, but these guys need to fight each other. They need – like both of these guys need a big win under their belt before they say, hey, fight me Canelo or fight me Triple G. That's what I feel. And since they're both struggling, they're both, they're both fighting fringe contenders right now. They might as well fight each other. Because the winner of that fight becomes a unified title holder and can at least say, hey, I beat Jamal Charlo. Or Charlo can say, hey, I beat Demetrius Andrade. Right. Okay, yeah. fight me. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I know that there, there's a group of uh, fans in, in the PBC who, who definitely are like, well, why, you know, why, does, why do these guys have to fight each other? Why doesn't Triple G fight him? Why doesn't it? And it's like, I don't know, man. I mean. Triple G has even done that. Paid his dues. Yeah. Triple G just fought Sergey Derrickinchenko. A top 10 Not fighter. a jump, okay? Right, right. And before <laughs> that, know, fought and Canelo yeah, twice. Yeah, he had Steve Rolf. Right. Yeah, but then, yeah, yeah, Canelo Alvarez, you know, and Alvarez fought Golovkin. And then, yeah, he had a Rocky Fielding in there. But right after that, he fought 
Daniel Jacobs. Right. And right after Jacobs, he fought Sergey Kovalev. So it's like they're fighting top guys. You know, right. maybe not every outing, but they're fighting top five guys. You know, the least these guys who are calling them out can do is, is fight a top 10 guy, a legit top 10 guy. Right. I mean, like, Yerevinchenko is out there. He's right. out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, actually, Lou, Lou just said in an interview that Derevyanchenko hasn't gotten an offer from anybody. He hasn't gotten an offer from uh, to fight Charlo. He hasn't gotten an offer to fight Andre. Although I know, I know when in the last days of HBO, I think that you know Peter Nelson desperately wanted when they had. I mean, I think HBO signed Andre for for a little while. And they yes. desperately were trying to make the Derevyanchenko fight, but you know, and, and talk to both sides, and they'll both say the other side was ducking and priced themselves out. So, you know, yeah. for some reason, those two guys don't want to fight each other, and you know, maybe, maybe the the Debella embargo that's going on, <laughs> at least, uh, you know, uh, was was rumored in the, hey, the USA Today article. Maybe that's what's keeping Derevyanchenko yeah. from fighting Charlo. I don't know because that would be a great fight. I hope. I sincerely. I sincerely hope that is not the case. Yeah, and that's that's tough. That's crazy, but um, yeah, I mean it, it, these guys are in a tough spot. They're talented fighters, but they they're not like they haven't got that win to make them superstars. So like the really top guys are kind of like, eh, you know, if 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 I don't have to fight them, I won't. And uh, you know, and and there's and and one sixty unfortunately is very top heavy. It's not really deep division. I mean, once you get out of the top five, That's there's true. really not a lot going on. So, uh, you know, I think you know the PBC is well. They're pro- going to have to get creative because right. they have to. I mean, I think the PBC is building up towards Charlo versus Chris Eubank Jr. Right, right. Uh, and at least Eubank Jr. is at least known on the other side of the pond. Um, yeah, he's coming and, off, and maybe a, he's marketable. Maybe the build up to that, they can do something with that. Right, he's coming um, off but a the thing nice is, wins. is if they keep, yeah, if they keep fighting the level they're fighting, no one's going to tune in. Right, and they're wasting their people who careers. are arguing with me that, yeah, yeah, people who are, who are saying that the other guys are ducking Andrade aren't actually watching him fight on the zone, and the zone is not an established platform in the United States. Right. So you know it's a small audience to begin with. Right, um, and Charlo doing under three hundred thousand views. For Dennis Hogan, that's boxing fans sending a message right. to Showtime Absolutely. and to Charlo. Absolutely. It really is. It's Absolutely. just like, hey, we we've seen this, you know. Right. We don't need we don't we don't need to see another Brandoms. You know, we need to see you in with a legitimate middleweight. Chris Eubank, okay, I like Chris Eubank. He's a tough cat. He's, right. He's definitely there to be outboxed, but he's not an easy night's work. Um, and he's been in there with some 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 top flight contenders doesn't always win but he's, at least he's shared the ring with truly world-class fighters you got Derevinchenko out there i think they should really look into him um and i don't know who else is out there i mean um i don't know what the 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 promotional status of rob brand is but i w- wouldn't mind seeing him back in there against a solid top 10 contender or, at least, or or you know um one of the title holders that can't get right um otherwise they need to get creative and, and get some of these guys, these standouts from um, junior middleweight to step up. Or they themselves, like Demetrius Andrade is hinting at, you know, they need to step up to 168 pounds right. and see who who they can attract. Yeah, yeah, I mean... It, but they need names. They need names. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like Brant, Brant's a good call. I mean, Brant's really not, you know, top rank doesn't seem to be doing anything with him. I think um, he's with uh, Cohen... Um, that's who's promoting him, and I th- okay. is is Cohen serving time right now? I'm not sure for the. That's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know if his guys that's are on issue. ice while that's going on, but uh, as long as he's on ice, but uh, but uh, yeah, Brant Brant's a good call, but yeah, other than that, yeah, I mean, Murata's not going to fight them. Um, you know, Eubank Jr. Probably that. I mean, it seems like that's the fight they want to make for Charlo, but yeah, Derevianchenko. Um, you know, either gets, I don't think Golovkin's going to rematch him because Golovkin's hoping to get, I mean, he's got the mandatory and then he's hoping for the re, you know, the third fight with, uh, Canelo in, in September. So, yeah. So what do, and you know, what, what does Andre do? I mean, he's gotta, he's gotta move up and, and do something, you know, uh, to, to get his career. Just, you know, he needs a big win. Like you said, he needs a signature win so that, you know, these guys, you know, kind of, uh, they can't say he hasn't fought anybody. They can't say, you know, he doesn't have any wins. Um, you know, they got to make something right. happen. So I Billy mean. Joe Saunders, I mean, I think they need each other. I mean, I think, you know, they were supposed to fight at middleweight for the vacant WBO title. Right. And if they fight for Saunders' WBO super middleweight title, that's significant. And if Andrade can outpoint Billy Joe Saunders, then he can say, hey, I'm a three-division title holder. Right. He'll call himself a three-division champ. Right. Whatever. That's fine. Um, but that's something. Right. That adds, that adds some weight to his name. Um, and you know, no one's going to expect World War Three with those two. Okay, it's you know a, a mainly tactical battle, right? Because that's what they are. They're, they're, it's two tactical boxers, two southpaws, right? Like to operate on the outside. So go figure. It's going to be tactical. We we will have low expectations in terms of action going into that fight, but still, a victory either way is significant for the winner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They're two undefeated guys, two, uh, two Olympians, um, you know, two guys who've, you know, been champs in multiple divisions and yet don't have a huge following kind of bounce from network to network, promoter to promoter. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they, they definitely need, both guys need a signature win. <laughs> yeah. So, so, well, I, I guess the, the, the one other thing to talk about from, from the card uh, was, was the, uh, the continuation of the YouTube boxing phenomenon. You had uh, uh, Jake Paul, the, the <laughs> twin brother of Logan Paul, uh, you know, getting a, a first-round knockout over someone who, uh, was it Ali Gibb was his name? I have no idea who he was. Um, I think so. Yeah, I had was, no Celebrity I'm still boxing. not sure about the Paul brothers. I don't know what they do. I don't. I don't know why they're famous. I know they're YouTubers, <laughs> um, and they have followings. I mean, they have millions of followers. Well, as, as and, and they seem like they are like they're jocks. They seem like these guys that are physical and 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 are somewhat uh, athletic. And um, I'm not mad at them for doing what they're doing. And I'm not mad at the zone either because they they move the needle uh, and. Don't need subscribers, and and they need to get their name out there to uh, a younger demographic, and these guys are a vehicle for that. Um, and in a way, I'm kind of I'm kind of proud that they choose boxing. Like they could be doing MMA, right? Right. Like they could be in a cage or something, or they could be doing they could be playing video games to settle their beefs, right? Right. You know, they don't have to like they don't have to put on gloves to settle their beef. You know, they could do a karaoke contest or something, but they're choosing boxing. Which is a reminder to me that even to the the younger generation, the twenty somethings, that boxing is still part of uh, this country's cultural fabric, and I like that. Um, I don't care to watch them fight. I mean, um, you know, just for the experiment or just novelty of it, I covered the the uh, who's Paul's older brother? Is that Jake? There's Logan Paul, the guy who fought KSI. Oh, Logan, yeah, yeah the Logan Paul KSI fight, the rematch. 
that was at the center. I just wanted to see who's going to show up. And people showed up, and it was a different crowd, and it was it was fun. And I watched that four round. I watched it, and I, I was I was mildly entertained. It, it right. was like a it was like a club show. Right, it was like a club show. Um, and, and that's it. Um, and ha- and you know I I I admired the the guts that both showed. But that's it. I don't need to to watch this over and over again. So. <laughs> Um, with Thursday nights, the zone broadcast when I needed to walk my dog, when, when Jake Paul and this other guy, Ali got in the ring or, you know, as soon as they were walking out, I walked my dog and I came back and, <laughs> and Paul had scored a first round. Mercifully, it was, over. I didn't care to watch the replay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, def- I heard I def- it was weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it was, you know, one, one guy, I mean, the, the Ali kid, I mean, I don't even want to describe the fight. It was, it was just two novices in there and one of them knew how to fight a little right? bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's weird when I, when I think about it because I'm like, okay, what other major sport would do this? I mean, even individual sports, like if it, it'd be like, okay, we're going to televise the U.S. Open tennis tournament and we're going to have, we're going to get to Federer or Djokovic soon, you know, but first we're going to have two YouTube guys play like a, a one set match, you know, because we're trying to attract that crowd yeah. and those viewers. Um, I, I think, you know, right. it, it definitely, you know, I mean, because you it had. It wouldn't happen. Yeah, you have, and you had two great title fights on before that, you know. Um, it's just a really yeah. weird hybrid that they're doing. I mean, people, some people on Twitter had suggested maybe they do. You know, just have it as a separate and apart thing, kind of the YouTube, you know, boxing guys have their own cards, kind of do it as like a celebrity boxing thing, Um, you know, as opposed to putting them on the... I like that idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I like that. And, you know, it's uh, one thing, and I I like it with with both the Paul brothers, with both Logan and Jake, is they had former champions. They had, you know, former, you know, retired fighters like Shannon Briggs and Shane Mosley trained them, not... How much those guys actually trained them, but they were part of the promotion. And I like the attention that Mosley, both Mosley and Briggs, who's who's a natural, he's, he's great on camera, um, a natural promoter, really. Um, I like it. I like that the they got the, they got the spotlight, uh, and so I, that's that's something I'd like to see um, continue. Um, and I'd like other fighters to kind of involved in that uh, if it gets them some some attention, um, some exposure, and and uh, how, however however delay that it's up to them but that is one of the positives of it but i do i i, I agree with those fans that would rather not have like legitimate boxing mixed with with youtuber boxing it's just uh keep the youtuber stuff to itself it'll still get this of that demographic that DAZN wants and, and hopefully the subscribers that they need but there's no reason um to to make uh fighter you know champions unified champions like daniel ramon um open a broadcast for those guys that's that's respectful absolutely absolutely so of course you know you i know you're looking forward to a a potential uh antonio brown and and logan paul fight as as uh (laughs) (laughs) i mean no and yeah and i wrote about brown i didn't want to like brown's agent like leave him saying like there's there's something wrong with him and he's worried about like you know the effects of of concussions and 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 the effect on his behavior, because I mean, and if that's the case, 
if this guy walking away from all that money, you know what I mean? Like, like there's got to be something there. Absolutely. And you don't want to risk that, right? And, and this is Drew Rosenhaus, who, like, you know, loves the attention. And, you know, he's like one of the, like, uh, right. the most prolific agents who, like, you know, can't keep himself out of the news. Yeah. And he's walking away from Antonio Brown. So, right. yeah, I mean, the guy's got, well, like, that should a, tell you. burglary and battery charges pending. He's got, like, rape allegations in a, in a civil suit. You know, his agent drops him, you know, uh, you know, and asks him to seek help. But you know what? If you're Eddie Hearn, you're going to offer him a seven-figure payday for a boxing match. <laughs> you know? like, sure. It's just kind of like, uh, you know, it just, uh, come on, guys. I it's mean, a it's, bad look, though, if, they, if just, it goes through. Oh, yeah, my God. It's a bad, it's a bad look. look. I mean, are you that desperate for subscribers? That I mean. Yes. Uh, yes, I think so. Such a <laughs> pathetic look. I, apparently, right? I mean, uh, they're like pulling yeah, out all the stops. I mean, I, I get it. It's, it's entertainment. It's you know, we're all in the entertainment business, but oh, get a lot of God. attention because of the controversy. Because right. of the controversy, it would get a ridiculous, an unprecedented amount of attention. As a matter, yeah, but it's not good attention. And everybody ripping <laughs> it. You know, a lot of folks would cover it just to rip it some more. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, and and not just the, not just the boxing scribes, but I mean, you know, general sports reporters. Ugh. Just general sports and entertainment media would cover that. Yeah, uh, they would, and that's what they're thinking. That's what Eddie Hearn's thinking of. Yeah, and, and I'm sure the zone is just, pushing it, like, like the higher ups the name out. too. Yeah, are, are pushing it, but yeah. but man, you know, I mean, and I know that we are the red light district of sports and all that. But man, you know, it's for the people who actually worry a little bit about the soul of the sport, you know, it's like is really right. is, is this where we're at, man? Is, is this what it's, it's come to? Come on, man! You, you know, you're getting a guy who yeah. literally his agent, in so many words, is saying the guy's got CTE. And we're getting, we're making him a seven figure offer yeah. to get in the ring with a YouTube guy, and 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 you know, and and I mean a seven figure offer, seven figures. <laughs> I'm like, you know, yeah. you know how many fighters have worked, you know, how many years, you know, in in their career, you know, to 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 make that kind of money, and you know, we're offering it to you know just you know to a, to a, a a problem child, you know, at best, you know, football player, and and you know who's who's never had a fight. It's like ugh, ugh. Yeah, <laughs> blah. That bad, is where bad taste. We're at. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's where we're question. at. Apparently, yes, we are there. indeed, that is yeah. where we're at. So, uh, so hey, uh, just wanted to uh, look ahead in the schedule at, at some fights and get your uh, get your opinion on 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 the schedule coming up this month in February. Um, I guess I'll start. Um, although there is a fight, uh, you know, uh, February first, but uh, you know, PBC kind of. I mean. Uh, kind of a tune-up fight for I think it's a tune-up fight. Talking about Ugas, your Dennis Ugas. Ugas. Yeah, uh, where do they Mike where do they dig up Mike Dallas Jr. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, and Fidel Maldonado. I I thought he was done. Jeez. I know both these guys have been ground down. Maldonado's before. still young, but he's a lot of wear and tear on that cat. Absolutely. I hope the referees watching that really closely. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm trying to think of the last uh, Mike Dallas Jr. fight that I actually saw. Um, who did he, who did he get starched by? Was it Matisse? That was Lucas Matisse. Yeah. And I think that's the last time I saw him. Yeah. That was 2013, Doug. That was seven years ago. So. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All due respect to Mike okay. Dallas. Yeah. It's been a while since he's been in with the world-class yeah. player. <laughs> I like Mike. No, I like Mike. And he was an overachiever. He's, he did well. He would, he, he did well under the tutelage, uh, under the tutelage of, um, uh, Virgil Hunter. Okay. I think I thought Virgil Hunter had him boxing really well. Yeah, 
Until the Matisse fight, which he, he shouldn't have taken that fight. Yeah, yeah. He got waxed by Matisse, and that was a long time ago. So, uh, that yeah. was the only outcome of that fight, too. Not, not, <laughs> not, looking, not looking forward to that one. I mean, that, that one's one of the weaker ones on the PBC schedule. But a week later. Yeah, because Lucas is legit. That dude, the Cuban is good. Absolutely, top ten, maybe top six or seven welterweight contender. Oh no, no question about it. I mean, he's a guy who you know had that kind of lull in his career where he lost a few fights and people kind of gave up on him and they they made him an opponent. And uh, and yep. he's he's definitely fought his he way back. His way and uh, you know, a lot yeah, of people just thought like he Danny beat Roman. Yeah, a lot of people thought he beat Sean Porter. You know, I mean, that was a really yeah. really close fight. Could have went either way. And look what Porter did against Spence. So you know, you know what kind of a, a fighter Ugas is. So I, I, I might be in the minority. I actually had Porter winning that fight by a point. I know I'm in the minority, and I'm. I had no. No, no, no. Spence could have won either fight, way. That's live, completely yeah, legit. At, at Center, uh, yeah, I had it really close. No, it was a close fight. It really could have went either way. I, you know, anyone saying that you know Ugas got robbed and all that, I think that's way overstating it. That was definitely one of those. A lot of close rounds. Not a lot of you know clean punching. You know, you're you know, it's like you're you're picking between one or two punches in each round. Um, you know, definitely could have went either but way. It wasn't a good performance for Porter, though. That wasn't Porter's fight, right? The fight that we saw Porter put forth against Errol Spence—that's a Sean Porter fight, right? Right, right. And you know, credit to Sean Porter though, because you know, everyone, you know, because he comes in flailing and doing those things, people think he's like a dumb slugger. Every time I look at Porter, he's an extremely smart fighter. I think what he saw against Ugas when he laid on the inside, Ugas just had faster hands. It was getting off and, and out punching him to the body. So Sean just like used his legs in that fight and, and, and you know, tried to, to use his, you know, he's a little bit of a younger guy than Ugas and, and use his hand speed and, and, and try and outbox him. I mean, it wasn't pretty, but he got the job done, you know, and, and Spence, he knew he was going to have to come at him and, and rough him up. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I have a, a, you know, I love Sean Porter. Great. You know, he's a really fun fighter. Um, uh, but Ugas was right there with him for sure. He gave Porter hell, but, uh, Mike Dallas, uh, that's just kind of a, a stay busy fight for Ugas, I'd think. Totally. <laughs> but the week after that is, is Gary Russell's, Gary Russell Jr.'s annual appearance in the ring. <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's a this one. I'm definitely I'm looking forward to this one. I think uh, Tug uh, Niambar is, is really going to press him and, and give him a good fight. How do you see that one going? I think it's a tough fight for 12 rounds. I favor Gary Russell because I think he's an elite level talent. Right. He's just you know, unfortunately there's no career direction or momentum because he fights once a year, and, and he's complaining more and more about it now that we see him. Um, between his last fight and this fight, a lot of complaints, uh, a lot of finger pointing. Um, and I don't know who to believe, but the bottom line is he only fights once a year. Right. And, and for a long time, he seemed content with that. He wasn't right. complaining. You know, now he's complaining. Um, but I think he needs to be at 100% and dialed in for King Tug because um, that guy's a monster. He had the extensive amateur background. He's very strong. He's one of those dudes that trains out here in Southern California, so he's getting great sparring all the time, and he's training around top contenders and world title holders. He's going to be very hungry. Um, but still, I think Russell is, is so talented, so intelligent in there. His, his hands are still incredibly fast. I just like his experience in his ring generalship. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and Tug, I, I thought, you know, now that he's – I mean, he was blowing out all the kind of, you know uh, – 
trial horses, fringe contender type guys. But you know, in his last fight against Marrero, you know, he that that was a tight fight. It was a tough fight for him. And Marrero was. was a tough guy. Um, it, it but Ru- Russell's definitely on another level than Marrero. Um, so unless Tuck can land something big, although sooner or later, yeah, but but sooner or later, there's going to be some diminishing returns from Russell. He's right. just he's he's leaving his physical prime, and he's not an active fighter. Um, and you can't be in tip-top shape for a fight when you know just just from sparring. Right. So at some point, um, he's going to lose something off that fastball, and then right. it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, it's I just, think he's got heart, though. I think he's got character, and he'll, he'll deal with it. And maybe he'll become like a more entertaining fighter, or, or folks will look at him as a weak link, um, and, and he'll get those big fights that he's been clamoring for. Um, but he's in a tough fight next Saturday. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just such a shame that he and Leo Santa Cruz didn't get made. I mean, that that's like perfect, you know, boxer puncher type fight. I mean, like you said, I mean, I don't know who's to blame. They're both to blame. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, I think, yeah, I think there's enough blame to go around. I think they're both to blame. I right. think that uh, on some and on some level, they liked getting a, a good paycheck to fight mid level guys, guys they knew they were going to beat. Right. Um, and, but you, know, you can do that and do that. And then suddenly you look around and like, what kind of legacy do I have? Exactly. <laughs> you know, or exactly. like, like, where's my big fight? You know, you're watching, you're watching your peers in these huge fights, guys that you, know, you may be looked at as, as the youngsters coming up. You know, I'm sure a guy like Gary Russell Jr. looked at Errol Spence and, and said, OK, yeah, one day, young man, you'll, you'll get to where I'm at. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Spence is in pay-per-view fights, man. Right. Like he's on the pound for pound going on what i should be there you know i'm out of the 2008 olympics how is it how, how are guys from the 2012 olympics ahead of me in terms of their their paychecks and their stature it's like well they're fighting the right fights and they're fighting more than once a year uh, and so there's a little more sense of urgency from russell but you know i hope it's not too little too late but i tell you what i do like watching him fight um and what he did two years ago against um jojo diaz right i mean that was a master class Right. That was sensational. And that he was a, brought it. Yeah, he, he did. strong and finished strong. But Gary just let him know, hey, there's levels to this game. You're not on my level yet. You might get here. You're not there yet. Uh, and if that level of, of Russell shows up against King Tug, I think he retains the WBC featherweight title. But it's going to be tough. Yeah, definitely. This is one of those fights. Yeah, like when, you know, there are, you know, it, it's, it's easy to win a title. It's tough to keep it. And, and, and credit to Russell for making that one defense a year for so many years. But you know, this is one of those fights. It always seems like you know the 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 young guy who's undefeated who he comes into this fight as an underdog. You've got a champ who's established, been around. I don't know how many times we've seen it where the young undefeated guy you know shows up and 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 pulls the upset in this one. I would really not be surprised if if Tug wins this fight. I like like you said. I mean, Russell has been very comfortable and and just kind of going through the motions, fighting once a year, getting his paycheck, being satisfied with that. But yeah, I mean, just fighting once a year um, and aging and not being sharp, yes. I mean, eventually it, it is going to yeah. take a toll. And, and he's frustrated now, too. And sometimes that can be a distraction. He's frustrated. Right. And, and I have to figure at this stage of his life, making 126 pounds is not easy. Right. I have to imagine he's, he's beginning to struggle a little bit to make that featherweight limit. So all of those are factors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, an interesting old man fight on that undercard. You've got a uh, Guillermo uh, Rigondeaux against uh, Laborio uh, Solis. Um, 
you know, so Lisa, former champion, Rigando, former champion, Rigando yep. moving down to bantamweight, which I, I, I think that's going to be interesting. It's really that's interesting. rare. Yeah. A guy his age going down in weight. <laughs> that's rare. It usually doesn't work out. Right. It'll probably work out for Rigo. Right. Right. But um, he's interesting because he's having to fight more. He's he's definitely lost something off his fastball. He doesn't yeah. have the same hand-eye coordination and reflexes that he had when he was in his prime. And by the way, actually, his real prime was at Bantamweight or lighter as an amateur. Right. Um, Absolutely. You know, his first Olympic appearance in, in 2000. Oh, my God. 2000. Was that the Sydney Games? <laughs> yeah. He was amazing. He was, I mean, he was incredible. He, he, was, he was off the charts as talent. Um, man, that's 20 years ago. Yeah. But that was really his prime. Absolutely. That was his prime in 2004. That's his prime. Um, we didn't really see him at his best, at his, at his athletic peak. But um, he's such a, a, a brilliant boxer that, you know, he was able to do what he did as a professional. And he has that experience that he can fall back on. Um, and, but so Lisa's – I mean, anyone's live against Rigo. And, and if dropping from 122 to 118 takes something out of him, we could have an upset. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, it, it, Rigo was very close to getting upset in his last fight. I mean, Julio Ceja, like, had yep. him hurt on, like, at least three or four occasions where he's, you know, his his legs were yes. wobbling and his, you know, the gloves came down. You know, you thought this might be the end, but he pulled it out with that big uh, bazooka of a left hand that he's got. But, I mean, Solis isn't a big puncher, but, yeah, this, I mean, and they're both, I mean, Rigo's like 39, Solis is 37. This is definitely an old man yep. fight. Um, yeah, especially for that for those weight classes too. Absolutely, absolutely. But Rigo is pretty extraordinary, so you kind of expect that uh, that he'll that he'll do enough to win that. Um, uh, the fourteenth, I guess, uh, Valentine's Day, um, we have the uh, matinee idol Ryan Garcia in there against Francisco Fonseca. Yep. Um, what do you think about that matchup? It's a decent matchup. Fonseca's pretty tough. He's he's tall. He's rangy. He's um, kind of cagey, kind of awkward. Uh, how many rounds did he take Tank Davis, an overweight Tank Davis? I think he took Tank eight rounds, and he went the distance with Tevin Farmer. He's got a lot of pride. Um, I think Ryan is, is just too big and too fast for him. Right. But if Fonseca can last three or four rounds, um, we still Ryan still hasn't proven not to be a front runner. He's very fast, very flashy, very dangerous because he's growing into his man strength. He's getting better with his punching technique. He's improving with his his head and upper body movement. A little, uh, I think Eddie Reynoso has added a few wrinkles to his game. We still don't know if he can fight on the inside, and we still don't know how he's going to react when he's in there with somebody who's not knocked out, knocked out, or in, at least intimidated in the first three or four rounds. So if Fonseca can take this five, six, seven rounds and he's still game, I think it'll be very interesting. But I do think Garcia's uh, going to go out there looking to make a statement because he's in the main event. Um, he's at uh, the Honda Center, which seats 18,000. Uh, I think Golden Boy has already sold out the lower bowl. So they're expanding, um, and there's going to be a huge media push, from, you know, uh, a lot of publicity out here, a lot of billboards and stuff like that. So they're pushing the fight. Maybe they'll have more than 10,000 there, so he's going to want to really put on a show for his fans. And he's feeling himself right now, knocking out Romero Duno in one round on November 2nd in the in the co-feature to Kanel Kovalev. That was a big statement, and um, he gets it. Uh, he wants to, to carry his momentum. He wants to call out guys like Tank Davis. 
Golden Boy's talking about matching him with Jorge Linares, and if mm. that happens, it would be like you know the Staples Center in the summer. You know, like so, they're talking about big things. Like he is a headliner. Like he is an attraction now, and he understands that you know there, there's a responsibility that you have to deliver when you get that you know, when you're in that spotlight when you're getting that kind of attention. You do have to deliver, and if you want to make it to the big fights, like he's talking about, like like Tank Davis, and make a ton of money, then you can't struggle with a guy like Fonseca. And so I think he's going to show up and try to blast him out of there because I think he wants to show up Tevin Farmer and certainly Tank Davis. And if he does, he's going to talk some shit to Tank. And they're going to go back in social media, and it's great because all this year they're going to build up an eventual showdown. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think with with Ryan, it, you know, just his his move to the Reynosos that that was just such a, a great move because the, their guys. I mean, you see how how much Canelo has improved with each fight with those guys, and and you know, Ryan has such great tools. I mean, he's got you know he's got the height, he's got tremendous hand speed, he's got tremendous, he's got one punch power. But he was just lacking in just fundamentals, you know. And and these yes, guys are, are are you know, and, and you don't just pick those up. But you know, I think they've done. You know, you can see subtle improvements with with Garcia. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Because I watched I watched Ryan when he was a teenager, and I saw him on you know when he was uh, you know like the first or second bout on a Golden Boy card, and you know he used to have the chin in the air, right. didn't know how to tuck his chin behind his shoulder. He had a good jab, but he couldn't move with it, like. Right. He could jab if he was stationary. <laughs> like, like right. he couldn't even jab coming forward, let alone like <laughs> lateral movement with the jab. Would you figure a guy with that height, that reach, and that kind of speed, you'd be all about that jab uh, foot coordination where you move laterally as you jab. You just pepper a guy from the jab from the outside. You know, punch on the fly, as the old timers would say. Um, but he's been working on that. I'm seeing a little bit more. More and more with that, with his recent fights, I still don't know if he can fight on the inside. Right. You know? right. Um, in the past, if he got in trouble, if he got in there with a the guy who was tough, could take his power, and tried to rough him up on the inside like Jason Velez, uh, and maybe to a greater extent against Carlos Morales, yes. who I think hurt him down the yes. stretch, their 10-rounder, he didn't know what to do on the inside. He just held. That's all yeah, he did. He, he, either, he either like – he got worn down. He got worn out. His, his defense on the inside was like putting his hands up and turning to the side. I said, or holding. Yeah. That's all he did. And then, yeah, Morales yeah. was definitely yeah. the, the... And then, you know, I kind of, like, look at the ref, like, hey, look what's happening. <laughs> right. This right. guy's trying to rough me up. Like, yeah. you, know, you know, it's like, no, you're going to have to do something, young man. Yeah. But, he, you know, he did do something. You know, he, he brought in a, a, a renowned trainer, um, a really good trainer, and somebody who's um, all about the, the textbook technique. And, and he's got a role model in Canelo who understands the importance of defense. And blending a good defense with a good offense, so he's got he's, he's got good peers and he's got good teachers. So let's see what kind of student he is. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. Now, Linares, I mean, is, is he fighting on the undercard of that against Carlos Morales? I mean, I I know that that was yes, yes. Yeah, I think he's <laughs> yeah. that, to me that is bananas. It's a, it's, I, it's a card. It's, I know. It's bananas. Like, like this guy was like neck and neck with Lomachenko, drop Lomachenko, like you know, not that long ago, and now he's like the support oh, to, to Ryan Garcia. Wow, that that's you know how you know. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's the thing about Jorge, world travel guy. At time, he's an elite talent. At times, he's been one of those guys. that's like right outside of the pound for pound top ten. Um, he was a a, a respectable lightweight champion held the ring magazine title for a while um but he 
can't sell tickets in Southern California. Mm. I've covered a few of his sites out here. A couple of them were at the forum, and he just he did not put butts in the seats. And Ryan puts butts in the seats, um, and that's the name of the game with prize fighting. It really is. Um, right. And and you know, Golden Boy knows where their future's with. It's not with Linares. Mm. In fact, I'm I'm pretty sure. There are people within the Golden Boy organization that have at least brought up, like, "Hey, have you have you considered retirement, Jorge?" Because mm. he's, you know, they, you know, and Jorge is a, is a beautiful human being. Um, but I mean, here's the thing: if he feels like he can still do it, that he has like one last run or at least one last great fight in him, and he can get past Carlos Morales, um, he could give Ryan Garcia trouble because all those fundamental flaws that we talked about that Ryan is actively working through. Jorge doesn't have those flaws. His flaws are just like physiological. He gets cut easy and he doesn't take a good shot. Right. Um, other than that, I mean, if he had a good chin, if he had good skin and a good chin, oh my God. Yeah. You're talking about it now. Now you're talking about a pound for pound level talent. Absolutely. Because um, we used to see that. Steve Kim and I used to see that in the gym when he would visit Wildcard and spar with Manny Pacquiao or with any of the other top fighters at that time. Back when he was a teenager or he was 20 or 21 years old. With big gloves and headgear on, oh, man, he was untouchable. He was incredible. <laughs> but small gloves, okay, small gloves in there with a guy who they can punch, a, a guy who could take his power, and you're going more than four, five, six rounds, then then we have trouble. Then it's tough on him. Yeah, it's it's crazy. He's like one of those guys who, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I remember when, when Stevie Johnston used to fight, and when, when he was on – you're like that's how boxing should look. Like that guy just does does exactly. it the way it, it should be done. And uh, when Linares is on top of his game, he he looks the same way. Just the combination punching, it's so fluid. I mean, he's it's like watching Brazilian yeah. soccer at its best. You know, it's just like wow, that that's the way the yes. game should be played. Um, but yeah, you're right. I yeah. mean, it's you know, skill, it's technique, it's it's athleticism, and there's a fluidity, and intuitive nature with his his punch combinations. It's like he doesn't even have to think about them. They just they appear out of nowhere, and it's the right combination, right three or four punch combination, and it's so accurate and so fluid. It's beautiful. It's like it amazing. To, it's to, artful. To yeah, it's the sweet science. Yeah, and you're right about uh, little but bad Stevie Johnson. And can I just say for the record, I thought Stevie Johnson won both fights against Jose Luis Castillo. Same I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> I thought he won both fights. Yeah. So yeah. whatever, whatever. It is. What it is. Definitely one of my favorite fighters, but yeah, to to me, like you know, if you know, uh, post Lomachenko, if you told me, like you know, like what is it, just two years later, or maybe maybe it's longer than yeah. that, but uh, that he would be, you know, no, on the like, on the undercard of Ryan Garcia, <laughs> it just yeah, blows they, my mind. Uh, Lomachenko, Lomachenko and Linares fought in May 2018. Yeah, yeah. So you're talking two not years, even, yeah, yeah, like less than two years later. Yeah. You know, less I mean, than two years. Yeah, he's he's like the support fight for Ryan Garcia. That that's crazy. But I, yeah. I mean, if 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 Linares, you know, I mean, and he's fighting the guy who gave Garcia all kinds of trouble, and Carlos Morales, who's a tough tough kid. Um, should he come yeah. through that and look and look like Jorge Linares, though? Who I mean, and and they actually, and Golden Boy goes ahead and makes Garcia Linares. Who you pick in that fight? Gosh, <laughs> uh, you know what? I I'm, I'm going to reserve. Um, I'm going to reserve my prediction until I see what Ryan looks like right. on February 14. I really am. Right now, I, 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 right now, I would say Golden Boy is setting up Linares to be a stepping stone. Right. But he, he's a slippery stepping stone. 
Um, yeah, I mean, Garcia he's... could easily slip. Absolutely. I mean, he's a guy, you know, he beat uh, Luke Campbell, beat, you know, destroyed uh, or, you know, or beat soundly Anthony Crolla twice, um, you know, and, and these guys, you know, I mean, Campbell definitely is a top 10 lightweight. Um, yeah, yeah. And it gave Lomachenko probably his toughest fight. Um, no, it's hard to look good against Campbell to a handful and, and Linares legitimately beat Campbell, I thought, although it was it was closer than the official scorecards, I thought. Right, right. He pulled. He might have pulled it out in the end. It was a very close fight. Um, but uh, yeah, Campbell well, gave he uh, Lomachenko hell too. He did. He did. He did. He did. But yeah, to me, it's just it's it's really. I mean, I know that uh, that you know Pablo Cesar Cano, you know, polaxed uh, Linares in, uh, you know at the Garden. But uh, but wow, to, to to then just like kind of throw him to the wolves or make him like like a treat him like a journeyman. Wow, I'm just kind of wow. Whew. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, they're not treating him like a journeyman, but they are treating him like a veteran that's well past his prime, and he might be. Right. Um, and they're definitely treating him like uh, they're it's, it, they're setting him up to be a stepping stone for who they hope is going to be the next star of their stable. Right. And it's as simple as that. I mean, There's listen, no candy you know coating what? It. Exactly. You know what? I mean, you know, I guess I had my manager's hat on a little too much, but yo, know, credit to Golden Boy—that's a hell of a fight. I mean, you really don't know who's going to win is. that fight if it happens. <laughs> yeah, because because on one end it's like, oh, they're setting up Linares to be a stepping stone for Garcia, but they're also giving Linares an opportunity, absolutely, to knock off this budding star. So you beat Garcia, and you instantly rejuvenate your career. Right, right, and it's like Garcia hasn't faced anyone even near the the, the level of Linares when Linares is on. So that is that is whew, true. That's that's ambitious. It's very it's inter- ambitious. It'll be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It is ambitious, and but but Ryan is ambitious though, and I like that about him. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I mean, you know, you, you can't you can't be uh, someone who want you know cries about you know having the best fight the best and then complain that they're you know pushing guys i guess you know (laughs) it's you know that that's a fight fans fight right there that's a 50 50 fight that's that's a really interesting fight if it happens so but um all right so moving on i guess the next night uh caleb plant uh is going to defend against a, a german fighter who i think was an interim champ or fought for an interim title uh few years ago, Vincent Fagenbutz, who's uh, got a lot of knockouts on his record, but I haven't really seen much of uh, much of him. Uh, you know, is, is this another softy for Plant, or or uh, how do you see that fight going? Uh, not as not as soft as the Subway guy. Not as soft <laughs> as Mike Lee. <laughs> and there was talk about before. Uh, is it Fagenbutz? Yes. That is. Is he from Germany? Yes. Yes. That is one of the more German surnames I've heard in a long time. <laughs> but um, weren't they talking about Caleb defending against Alfredo Angulo for a hot second? Yes. And yes. the boxing Twitter well, triggered, yeah, and they're I like, mean, no, 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 just kidding. <laughs> yeah, listen, I mean, Kid, Kid Chocolate, I think it was all being set up so that Kid Chocolate would fight um, Caleb uh, Plant. And w- what would have been, you know, a pretty solid fight had Kid Chocolate performed yeah. as expected and walked through Angulo, uh, who was a replacement, right, for uh, Caleb Truax. But, uh, but yeah, um, Angulo just totally upset the apple cart. <laughs> And and, yeah, and at that point, that PBC's fun. like, "What the hell do we do now?" <laughs> you know, we. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one wants now, to see well, Angulo in there. Go, yeah, I'm glad they didn't go far with Angulo being in there because that would have just been inhumane. Um, Fagan Butts, listen, I think Plant Plant is rated number three at super middleweight by Ring Magazine. 
Um, so he's one of the top top operators at 168 pounds. And um, honestly, I don't see anybody giving him trouble until he fights the ring champ, Callum Smith. Mm. And I think he would at least be a live dog against Smith. Mm. And uh, his fellow PPC player, um, David Benavidez, who's a monster, but he's still a kid. Right. And he's still learning. And we saw that in the fight with uh, Anthony Durrell, that he's he's still got some some things to work through. Um, as you would expect somebody his age and at, at his level of experience. But Benavidez is a big, scary monster, in my view. Um, but I see Plant seems to have this um, a good head on his shoulders. He's not just a smart boxer, but he doesn't, he doesn't get intimidated. Um, and he, he seems to handle pressure really well. And, um, you know, he could be like the dark horse of that division. He could actually right now be the best 168 pound fighter out there. We don't know because he hasn't fought the best, but I I think he has that potential. Um, and if he realizes that potential, he'll surprise a lot of people. But I won't be surprised. You know, it's funny. I, I'll take like the opposite side of that argument because I really didn't think much of Caleb Plant. I thought that they matched him really soft, and I thought Jose Uzgategi was gonna like tear his head off, and and then he like shocked me when when he dominated Uzkategi and I was like damn he could fight but then we see Uzkategi two fights later and you know a journeyman Lionel Thompson just beat him you know and outboxed him right so and and you know other than Uzkategi I mean Plant still hasn't really you know fought anybody if Uzkategi wasn't who we thought he was after the the wins over Durrell then you know was Durrell right. just shot it might be a it might be a mirage exactly right? because Uzkategi turned out to be a mirage like maybe Uzkategi caught Andre Durrell at the right time, at the right. end of Durrell's career, which is right. what it looks like. And, right. and so who did Caleb Plant really beat? And that's the big name on Plant's record. Right. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm judging just on the eyeball test. And, and, you know, when I hear him interviewed and, you know, the footage that I see of him training, he just seems like a very serious athlete. Um, he had a, a, a good amateur background as well and, and a difficult style. Right. But he seems like a very focused, dialed in guy. Uh, and right now, Ring Magazine just has uh, ranked ahead of him the, the champion, Callum Smith, and the number one contender is David Benavidez. And the number two is uh, Gilberto Ramirez, who's moving up to 175 pounds. In fact, we should remove Ramirez from the super middleweight rankings. I don't know why he's still in there, but um, really, Plant should be like number two or so. And then like I'm, I'm just looking at the, the rankings here. Anthony Durrell is, is still a player, I think, and that would be an interesting matchup. Absolutely. Durrell and Plant. you got Billy Joe Saunders, who's kind of like Plant and that he's a, a southpaw stick-and-move specialist, although Plant seems to be a little tighter with his technique, put a little bit more behind his punches. you got Caleb Truax. You know, he's a, a veteran. John Ryder. Well, Truax just off, barely you know. beat beat a journeyman in his last fight, so I don't Struck. know how much uh, Caleb yeah. Truax has left. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I would I would heavily favor Caleb Plant. As much as I like Caleb Truax, I would heavily favor Plant to defend the IBF title against uh, Truax. I don't know how he would look against Billy Joe Saunders. That's not a really good style matchup. Um, Caleb Plant versus Canelo Alvarez, very interesting. I'd be into that matchup. Absolutely. Um, but, in the PBC universe, you know, listen, Plant Benavides, that's a hell of a title unification fight. I hope PBC, with the help of Fox Sports, can get that done. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's an excellent fight. I mean, you know, looking at, uh, I mean, you know, 
To me, too, if he stays at 168, I think Danny Jacobs, I mean, I don't I don't know if he'd be welcomed back on the PBC platform after having spent all the time on DAZN. I don't know if they'd actually match him with any PBC guys. But to me, Jacobs would be a great test and, and, and you know, probably a favorite over both Plant and Benavides. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd be into that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that. to yeah. me, though, that, that's a really solid fight for either guy. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, with with the PBC, they they kind of had they have a number of 168 pounders. I don't know if the depth is quite like junior middleweight, where like you know they keep having guys knock knock each other off, which is kind of exciting. Yeah, um, I don't know if it they, is they exciting have that depth, but uh, yeah, but I, you know, Plant. I mean, I, you know, he's definitely a wait and see type of guy for me. I, I'm still not convinced that he's like an elite. Um, and Benavides right. too. You know, they they both need more tests. Um, and they may have to test That's each fair. other, you know, they may have to test each other. That's the way it should be. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. the way it should be right there. Man. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the week after that fight is the big rematch with uh, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. Um, how do you see that one going? I mean, I, I still have no clue oh my gosh. as to who's going to win. I that don't fight. either. <laughs> That's why I like it. Yeah. You know, going, I, I'm, I'm going into the first fight you thought it was wilder's fight to win you know wilder by knock knockout i I thought it was wilder i thought wilder would struggle for a few rounds and then clip him in the mid to late rounds um i thought fury would be difficult as soon as he ran out of gas but he didn't run out of gas right um and when the fight was first announced i wasn't even sure fury would make it to the fight i was thinking this guy's gonna pull out (laughs) i don't trust this guy (laughs) you know and and you we didn't we didn't know where he was. I mean, we knew where he was physically, which was like 50%. Right. I mean, his body looked like crap even after the second comeback fight. Right. right. He had the first comeback fight against a cruiserweight whose whose last name was the same as his first name, I think. <laughs> yes. And then he safari, fought some yeah. other guy. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. yeah. And then he fought some other guy and it went 10 rounds. And it was like a sparring session. It was he literally that, yeah. just like a rust-shaking exercise. Right. Right. And uh, so where is he? Like, it was a long debate with the ring ratings panel on whether or not to rank him in the top 10 or not after his second comeback fight. They're like, well, he's back. He's definitely back. He's got his license back. He's had two fights. He is unbeaten. He is the former ring magazine champion. He is a former unified champion. Um, So you would think that he's worthy of being a top 10 contender. But how good did he look against those chumps that he fought? Right. Now, that was a question. Like, where is – we really didn't know who he was at that point. So when Wilder signs up to fight him, we're thinking, all right, well, that's a smart move. Um, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't get the Anthony Joshua fight done, so they picked another U.K. star who's unbeaten. He's got the gift of gab. He's going to promote the fight. Um, the pay-per-view might do well. We'll see what happens. Um, but he should knock this guy out. You know, he should, he should clip him. And that didn't happen. And even when he got knocked down, he got up twice. So right. it's like, okay, he's one of these guys who can take that power. He's got he's got character. I'll say this about Tyson Fury, and he's and it's hard to take him seriously because he's a goofy guy, and he will say stuff like I, I jerk off seven times a day to boost my <laughs> testosterone. People will run with that, and if you hear that, you're like, this guy's a clown, you right. know. And I mean, even like if you go back and look at some of his best fights, like his crowning achievement was beating Vladimir Klitschko. And he literally clowned his way through that fight. At least that's what it looks like to the layman. It's like this guy is a joke. Right. He's terrible. You right. know, there's no way he can beat this dude, this killer. But he, there's real character 
Like, you know, when he got that cut against uh, Otto Wallin, good Lord, that, that was that was terrible. Until that, 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 that gaping head wound suffered by Jojo Diaz just this past Thursday, that was one of the worst cuts I'd seen in a long time. Yes. And it was over his eye. It wasn't like uh, Badoo Jack with the split forehead. <laughs> it, was, it was over his eye. And I think it was under and above the eye and was bleeding into it. And it doesn't bother him. Yeah. He just he just makes adjustments. He's like, all right, I'm gonna have to maul this guy. I'm gonna have to step on the gas a little bit, you know. I'm, I'm gonna, you know. And then you add to that that he, you know, he's he's tall. He's a little bit taller than Deontay. He's a little bit rangier. He can switch hit. He can move. He's a much heavier man. Um, and you toss in the X factor of switching trainers uh, of Ben Davison um, for Sugar Hill Stewart. Is it good? Is it bad? I I, I don't know. I honestly don't know, um, but I do think that if Sugar Hill Stewart can get him to straighten up on his punches a little bit, just put his body behind his punches a little bit, because he gets he gets respect with like arm punches because he's so freaking big, right? You know, so maybe you know lock his lock his elbow in a little bit with some of these jabs and and, and right hands or whatever. Uh, you know, um, who knows what can happen? Um, I honestly don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there's two schools of thought. Like maybe Wilder wasn't expecting what Fury gave him um in december of 2018 and and hey fury shocked all of us and that's a that's a difficult style so maybe it took it took him eight or nine rounds to figure out that style and he just wasn't able to finish him and i think wilder was lucky to escape with the draw to be quite honest um but going into this rematch you could say well wilder knows what to expect now right he's going to expect the best version of tyson fury he's not going to sleep on him um he's already been on this big stage this big pay-per-view stage um, before with with Fury, so he's ready for that now. The spotlight, okay, um, and he's more acclimated to that style, so he can get to him quicker, you know. And then on the flip side, you could say, well, wait a minute, that version of Tyson Fury that fought Wilder the first time was probably seventy seventy five percent. Maybe now, I mean, he's actually kept his weight down for more than a year, for an entire year, he kept his weight down, kept his nose clean. Literally and figuratively speaking. <laughs> and did he look great against those two guys that he fought? No, he didn't look that great. But he got the rounds in. Right. He had, uh, you know, those training camps. He's he's back to being a professional fighter, okay? So he's got that kind of momentum going in this. And maybe he's going to be even sharper. I don't know. But that's what I like about the matchup. Apart from the fact that it's number one versus number two in the ring ratings. So the Ring Magazine Heavyweight Championship is up for grabs. I was just about to mention that. Yeah, I, I just said, glance at the ratings. I'm like, finally, we get one and two, you know, fighting each other yeah. again. So uh, after, yeah. after a very long it's wait. Yeah, it really is. It's very important. Um, yeah, and and hopefully the, the, ring, the ring title will be allowed by the promotion to have a presence there. Um, one thing I noticed with the, the kickoff press conference in L.A., if you look at all the posters and all the graphics, they won't even mention the WBC title. They just say World Heavyweight Championship. And I think what happened – this is just me pontificating. This is just me guessing, right? Uh, Doug Fisher theory. My guess is the Wilder side was like, we don't want to hear all that lineal champion crap. <laughs> Deontay doesn't know what the hell that is. He doesn't want to hear that shit. We don't want to hear it. You know, I, I we don't want to hear. We don't want to put lineal championship anywhere on here. And then the Fury side said, "Well, if we can't put lineal champion, then we don't want the WBC title being up right, there." So right. they took that out of there. So I'm something like they don't want like they just like they just want it to be world championship. They don't want any belts to be seen or, or whatever. But 
I think it adds value to it, the matchup. I mean, obviously, I'm biased, okay? But I think it adds something to it. I think there's a rich history to Ring Magazine's uh, heavyweight championship. It goes all the way back to Jack Dempsey. Um, and I think it helps sell the fight. Not, not sell the fight. I just think it adds to the significance, historical significance and the magnitude of the fight. Absolutely. 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 And I think it's legit to have those guys one and two because Joshua's got all the belts and Joshua still, in all honesty, probably has a better resume. But he got beat by a guy who I don't think anybody had in the top 10, you know, and, and you got to go down a few pegs exactly. for that. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, Wilder was, actually was, had a pretty good say, year last year. So, you know, even though did. most people thought that Fury beat no, he, him in that in that fight and he shouldn't have got a draw, he had a really impressive year last year. So I think it's legit to have him one or two. No, they both guys have good momentum. I mean, um, Deontay Wilder scored the top two knockouts of the year of, of 2019. And uh, I don't pick one either Brazil or against Luis Ortiz. I mean, Ortiz that was a one hitter quitter. The Dominic Brazil knockout was just scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's like, yeah. I mean, he he's he's enters this fight as the baddest man on the planet. He's got that title. You know, he's got like the the biggest puncher. You could even say pound for pound. You could say even though he's obviously if you're the heaviest puncher in the heavyweight division you're the best puncher pound for pound but right. whatever he's got that he's got that mythical title going in there so both guys carry mythical titles in there <laughs> fury's got lineal and wilder's got baddest man you know uh and it's all good that that helps add intrigue to the fight and the thing about joshua is yeah he got he got caught sleeping with that first fight with andy ruiz and had he come back and like handled ruiz the way lennox lewis handled hasim rockman and just blasted him out of there. I can see an argument for him being number two or maybe even number one. Because that way it looks like the first fight was an aberration. Right. But he was so skittish, so nervous. Right. And really stank it out. And I thought he, I, honestly, I thought he boxed the right fight against yeah, he absolutely I think did. style is all wrong for him. But when you win in that matter, it's kind of hard to argue like you're the man. You right. Know? Right. Yeah, I mean, if, if if he had outboxed them for maybe, you know, nine, ten rounds and then in the 11th round just laid him out, you know, it'd be like, wow, it's a master class. But, but it wasn't that way. Right. And anytime they, you know, Ruiz, or, or you know, just got, got into punching range, he, he was doing the same thing. He was, you know, he had Joshua yeah. holding on. I mean, Joshua realized he just couldn't exchange yes. with the guy. So he's definitely a flawed heavyweight. I mean, with, with Wilder, Wilder Fury, it's what, what, Makes it really intriguing to me is I thought Deontay fought a horrible fight the first time around. He was just, I mean, the, the worst of Deontay Wilder came out. He was winging shots. <laughs> he wasn't yeah. He wasn't patient. He looked like a complete amateur at times. Just, you know, and, and Fury made a, a, a fool of him the first half of the fight. Um, you know, but Fury like got he, in his head. Yeah, Fury he made him mad. Yeah. I think he was he was in there angry and you know. And it was while his first like, real big big fight. You know, this was the first time he right. was in a really big event, so he was there's a lot of it was a little bit of emotion coming through. Um, yeah, and that's that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. that's forgivable. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, he said that he he's you know looked at that fight. He's embarrassed about it. You know, he's you know, and he's he's a much calmer fighter now. Um, so, you know, we'll see if there's a more mature uh, Deontay Wilder uh, who, uh, although, you know, if he's mature like he was in the rematch with Ortiz, he might give away the first, like, nine, ten rounds again. Yeah. We'll see. But what I, what I thought yeah. was... Yeah, really- I mean, that's the thing. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I point to. Like, I mean, a lot of people got excited about the, the rematch knockout of Luis Ortiz, and I get it. It was, it was a one-hitter quitter. It was knockout of the year. Ring Magazine's knockout of the year. 
deservedly so. Um, but you know, it, when you're a low, he's a low volume, he's a great puncher, but he's low volume when he's at his best. He's like, he's very choosy about that power. And I think he set up the, the, the punch. And I think he was smart. He knew that Ortiz, even an in shape Ortiz, um, was going to slow down after four rounds, after four or five rounds. Like he was going to get slow. He was going to get kind of winded, even though it wasn't like a, a torrid pace. Right. Um, and once he slowed down and the technique dropped off a little bit, he he would see his opening and he would seize it. And he did just that. Um, but I would say Ortiz Taylor made for a huge right-hand puncher because he's very compact. He's, he's stationary. He comes straight forward. He walks right, right to the puncher. Doesn't have a neck, so there's not a lot of head movement there. And he's just putting that left that uh, that southpaw jab out there, so that right-hand jab. And then he has the left of the body and the left of the head. And that's pretty much it. Right. Kind of like one-two fighter, lethal, coming straight forward. Linear, I should say. Just walking straight forward to a guy with the best right hand uh, in the heavyweight division, maybe all of boxing. So that was a matter of time. A totally different style matchup with Tyson Fury, who's going to move around. Right. Who's going to switch hit. Right. He's got a long reach. Um, who can improvise. You know, right. go in there and and, and – and, and show him some ring savvy. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. And, and and you mentioned something there that really surprised me in the first fight was that Tyson Fury did not switch hit. He didn't go lefty. I don't I, that I could recall it, 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 at any point in the fight. And and before that, in his big fights in Britain, I you know I know with Chisora, I mean he, he would fight entire fights. Chisora, he did it. Yeah, he fought an entire. I think fight he does that with shorter guys. I think he does that with pressure fighters. Hmm. I think he does that. It's like a matador kind of thing. It's like here I am, I'm southpaw. Now I'm orthodox. Now and he does it as he's moving. Right. And he kind of like he kind of bamboozles them. They right. get bewildered after a while and overwhelmed. You know, as he keeps turning them and turning them and turning them. And with Wilder, Wilder, he's not really a pressure fighter, right. and he's not compact. You know, he's a tall, rangy guy who was taking the fight to him, but Fury could see the right hands every time. He's just right. like, okay, I'll just kind of tuck the chin and move my head a little bit, right, and uh, lure you in and pop you a couple times, and then spin out, right. And so, he, he, I don't think he felt the need to switch it. Yeah, yeah, maybe he's not as not as confident that the that going lefty is the stay with a big right hand puncher. Maybe he feels more vulnerable to the right, right hand in the southpaw stance. But that was definitely something I noted from the first fight. Like, wow, Tyson didn't switch up once, and I was wondering maybe in a rematch he switches up. But we'll see, we'll see. Another another yeah, thing we'll to look for in the fight. But uh, I'm looking forward to it though, and I'm yeah. I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna matter of fact, I need to to make my flight and and hotel reservations today. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I haven't done that yet. It's been busy. I haven't done that yet. Um, but uh, I do plan to be there, and, and I'm looking forward to being around the rest of the media and and getting excited for a, a big heavyweight championship fight because there's nothing like heavyweight championship boxing. Absolutely, absolutely, and the number one and two guys. So uh, yeah, it should be fun. It should be fun. So one last fight or one last fight card in February, and and again it's it's uh, well actually this one's the zone. I was like Mikey Garcia I was about to say PBC, but no, this is uh, Mikey Garcia's the zone debut um, against uh, yeah. Jesse Vargas. Um, now Mikey, you know Mikey's such a mercenary. I mean he's following the money. <laughs> he's just strictly following yeah. the money. He's like you know I, I, I and he's had, proud of it. Absolutely, I was gonna say I had Jim Quinn he's on. Proud of it. 
Uh, Jim Quinn, uh, who's a great sports lawyer, who's represented all of the major sports uh, players unions. And, you know, the the big victory for him was free agency for all those leagues. Mikey Garcia is like the epitome of a free agent in boxing. Like, he's not tied to any promoter. You know, he's not really beholden to any manager. He's going to take the best deal that's out there. And, uh, you know, he's taking this fight with Jesse Vargas now. Um, you know, his, his one venture into welterweight, you know, he took on Errol Spence and it just, he just looked flabby, too small, too slow. Um, and you know, kind of everyone was just like, man, Mikey, you're not a welterweight. Um, but he's back at welterweight, you know, with my takeaway. (laughs) What's that? Yeah, that was my takeaway. He is just not a welterweight, at least against an elite 147 pounder. Right. Um, and I mean, if he were to fight. Sean Porter, uh, or even uh, Keith Thurman, as inactive as Keith Thurman is, uh, or even you know Manny Pacquiao. Pacquiao is um, the perfect fight. He's forty years old. Yeah, yeah. He's a it sm- is the a perfect smaller fight. Style wise, Garcia is kind of like yeah, he's smaller, but style wise, Pacquiao's in and out, and a good counter puncher like Garcia can 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 clip him like Juan right. Manuel Marquez. Right. Um, but I would still favor. I would still favor the established welterweights to to defeat Garcia, and I actually think. Garcia is going to be in tough um, against Jesse Vargas because you know Vargas is five foot eleven, got a good reach. Um, he's uh, he's a big welterweight. I think Vargas actually struggles to make one hundred and forty seven pounds, even though he started his pro career at one forty. And um, I like the experience that Vargas brings. I like his chin. He's got a great chin. Uh, he's got a very good jab. Um, he's a high volume boxer, and um, you know he he, he hasn't. He doesn't have that signature win. I mean, I don't know what his signature win would be. Maybe Saddam Ali um, to win a, a welterweight belt. But he's been in there with Manny Pacquiao, and he's been in there with Timothy Bradley. And he came up short in those fights, but he didn't embarrass himself. Right. And um, going 24 rounds with future Hall of Famers like that, I think that that's really good experience. And I think he's going to bring a lot of confidence with him. Uh, and you look at his record, not a lot of huge names that he's defeated, but a lot of solid guys. Right. Um, so he's used to going distance. He's used to being in tough fights. Um, I will add that I thought he deserved uh, the nod uh, by, by close decision against Adrian Broner and right. Thomas DeLorme. And both those fights ended up being draws. Um, so he, I mean, you know, he can fight. The guy can fight and the guy can box. and He's got a lot of pride. So I think Mikey's got his hands Full with with Vargas, even though my my guess is that Mikey is the the odds favorite and probably the media favorite because he's the guy who's won world titles and four weight classes and he's been a main eventer and um, he's uh, he's been on the mythical rankings. He's been in everybody's top ten pound for pound. Maybe not now, but he has been in the past. Right, right, yeah, yeah. The the, the Spence fight definitely did him no favors because you know you you would hope that he would have had at least a couple moments in that fight, but it was like you know there was maybe one round that was relatively close where he landed a body shot and Spence didn't do a lot, but other than that, I mean, it was it was a total whitewash. I mean, he he got, I mean, you know, Errol just dominated him, so it's really hard to yeah. You know, well, his whole thing was he was going to be a better boxer, and I think he and his team and everybody who was picking him to win forgot that Errol Spence was an Olympian. He was a U.S. Olympian, right? A much better amateur than Mikey Garcia ever was. Um, so yeah, I mean, Spence likes to grind guys down. He likes to you know you know apply pressure and attack the body, but he could box. The guy can box, and, right. and he reminded everybody that. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's a very interesting fight. And obviously, you know, DAZN, you know, with, you know, the, the, the chess pieces on the board being moved around by, by the major players. I mean, you know, I guess the grand plan is, you know, to have uh, uh, Mikey Garcia, you know, if he, if he beats Jesse Vargas, then they would hope that, you know, Pacquiao would come out victorious and his, you know, apparently he's got one fight left with the PBC and, right. then, uh, and then, uh, you know, they can match Pacquiao and Garcia on zone, but, but, uh, uh-huh. yeah. that's not a bad plan. That's not a bad plan. They're not playing, they're plan. playing chess and playing checkers here, but anything can happen in boxing. That's and right. I would not and, be shocked if or I guess outpointed Garcia. Yeah, you know, just by and, outworking him. And and if Pacquiao's fighting Danny Garcia, which seems kind of likely, I don't know. Clipped. That's a dangerous yeah. fight. <laughs> yeah, it does seem unlikely, but I, I, you know, at at age forty, it's dangerous. Absolutely, it's dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah. So on the undercard of of Mikey Garcia Jesse Vargas, uh, a very intriguing fight. You got Cal Yafe, the WBA. Uh, Junior bantamweight champion taking on Chocolatito Gonzalez, and we'll see what Chocolatito. Return of the king! <laughs> the king returns. I'm glad I'm not going to be at this card because I am going to be unabashedly rooting for Roland Chocolatito Gonzalez. <laughs> I will. I'm going to be rooting hard for him. I don't know if he's got it. I don't right. know if he has anything left. I mean, I really don't. I right. have no idea what's left. But I wanted to beat Yafai, and mm. nothing, nothing against Cal Yafai. But uh, Gonzalez is my man. I mean, he was my choice for fighter of the decade. And um, just what an honor to have watched this guy fight as much as I did um, over the the previous decade. Um, And and so many good fights. I mean, the the fight in 2012, late 2012, against uh, Juan Francisco Estrada was as good as boxing gets. Um, his fourth title win in a fourth weight class against Carlos Quadras at the Forum. That was awesome. Uh, and that first fight in the Garden against Sri Sakeso Rungvasai. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was incredible. Yes, yeah. just, I mean, heart and guts and determination and courage on display. You know, just uh, it, 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 beautiful to behold. So, I mean, uh, you know, he's the sentimental favorite with me and probably probably with most of boxing. Yes. But Yafai, you know, he's a young guy. He's in his prime. He's unbeaten, and it's a difficult style. And we don't know what those – those. I mean, he was – I think Gonzalez was, was really pushing the limit at flyweight. Right. He started to struggle a little bit at flyweight before he stepped up to super flyweight or, or junior bantamweight, 115 pounds. And then he really struggled. And then I think those fights, the you know, the 24 rounds that he went with Carlos Quadras and then saw Rungvasai, I think that took a lot out of him. And then obviously getting destroyed by Sri Saket in that rematch. I mean, I thought he was going to retire. I thought that was the good move because he's a future first ballot Hall of Famer um, and obviously a legend in Nicaragua. But, um, you know, he came back. But, you know, he's had two fights against two mid-level guys. And so we really don't know what's left. Yeah, yeah, it seems that way, and, and I, I, I second the 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 the, uh, the thoughts about him. Just such such a beautiful boxer, and and if you're a trainer who wants to show a, a pressure fighter, uh, if you've got a pressure fighter, a shorter pressure fighter, you know, films of somebody, you know, who who you want to model, you know, a, a style after. I mean, it's it's Gonzalez. I mean, just I mean, obviously, yeah. it's going to be really hard to replicate it's what he just, did, <laughs> but right. I mean the combination it's not just punching pressure and volume, right? right. And counter punching too. And if you, if you're you, right, combo. 
If you if you watch yeah. him fight Brian Valoria, inside game. Yeah, yeah, he that, that's it. I mean, he sometimes he just throw to draw your counter, and he would you know wait to counter your counter. I mean, just a really calculating, beautiful boxer, just a you know and an absolute destroyer too. Um, uh, you know when he, when yeah. he was at the the, the lower weight classes, uh, and such a class guy too. Um, you definitely can't help but root for him, but you also can't help but think. Um, you know, whether his heart is still in this, you know, he seemed to be kind of resigned after, after the, uh, SSR fights that, you know, this was it. Um, so yeah, this, we'll, we'll see that this will be the fight, you know, is, is Chocolatito back or is, is, is he done? So, um, really intriguing fight. Um, and, and like you said, I think, you know, everyone outside of Yafe's, uh, family is, is probably rooting for Chocolatito. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's not an exaggeration. <laughs> Now, one more fight on this card that, that that I think is interesting just because he's such a, a I think, a, a bright young star. He just looked so good. He's a, another really fun fighter to watch from Mexico. Uh, Julio Cesar Martinez, um, WBC flyweight champion, going to take on Jay Harris, a British fighter. Um, what do you think of Martinez? Have you have you had a chance to, to, to see him work? Yeah. Yeah, no, I heard about him even before he beat that guy from Wales in Mexico. To earn the WBC Selby, shot at yeah. uh, Edwards, little brother, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Lee no, I think brother. he's a monster, and um, he's uh, he's he's being trained by Eddie Reynoso, which is going to help him out a lot. I like his style. He's ruthless. He's a rough customer. Um, he's a, he's a pressure fighter, body puncher. He's got that quintessential uh, Mexican, you know, all, you know, almost uh, what's the word? Um, it's almost stereotypical, really. <laughs> come, come forward, <laughs> uh, rough, you know, willing to take a shot to land that left hook to the body. Uh, but he's a lot of fun to watch, and he and he has that take no prisoner attitude. So um, he's a, you know he's a welcome addition to the to the flyweight division. And I like I like the little guys. I like the I'm into the sub bantamweights. I'm into the sub featherweights and sub bantamweights because um, they're like old school fighters. I think they'll 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 you know they're not going to ask for a lot of money. And um, I, their their shelf life, their primes is a lot shorter than heavier fighters. Like most of these guys are done by their their late twenties. Right. So there's a real sense of urgency with their career. And they're not afraid to unify. They're not afraid to fight mandatories, tough mandatories. Um, you know, they and they have to fight. They have to fight often, and they have to fight tough if they're going to get paid anything at all. Right. So um, yeah, I like El Rey. Um, and uh, I I. He seems smarter. He, I mean, he, you know, he's he's kind of wild in there, and, and he's you know he's he's, he's brutal. But um, you know, you, you look at the last three guys he fought: Andrew Selby, you got Charlie Edwards, uh, you know, and he, he got he got a little crazy, got a little you know he he cost himself the title that night. But um, beating Christopher Rosales, Rosales is is a is a tough cat. That's a that's a that's yeah, an that experienced but young fighter. Yeah, it Ros- was. Rosales caught him I knew with that some was gonna, shots. It's going to be a good fight. Yeah, yeah. So I like that because you le- it lets us know that um, that Martinez is not a front runner. That he's got some character, so he can be in a tough fight for round after round after round, um, and then rally and then and then push it to another level. So I think you know, living up to that tradition, of Mexico City fight, um, you know, not as technical as you know your Sal- you know, Salvador Sanchez or the Marquez brothers, right? But He's just got a lot of heart, and um, I think he'll resonate definitely with, with Mexican fans, but also with hardcore fans. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, those guys you named, uh, you know, Selby, Edwards, and Rosales, those are all top 10 fighters. So he's he's had a great run, like, you know, his last three fights. And, and he, you know, decisively beat them all, though, yeah, he did clip uh, Edwards when he was on the canvas. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely... Yeah, he was, I mean, he was on his way legitimately beating Charlie. You know, he just, yeah, he, he shot himself in the foot right there. But um, he's dangerous. I think he's dangerous for any flyway, and he could probably go up to 115. And be a player at junior bantamweight, where I know Sir Eddie has some fighters already. So, yeah, um, I like him. He's uh, we rank him number four, Martinez, and we got him behind Kosei Tanaka, who's a beast. Right, that's a man. That talking about Mexico versus Japan, that's a title <laughs> unification fight. I'd love to see. And then um, Methalane, the the veteran from South Africa. Yeah, and then Delakian, Artem Delakian, who we might we might overrate this Ukrainian. He's our number three. And I know he had that win over Brian Valoria, but I think Valoria was washed by that point. Um, I mean, I, honestly, I think Martinez should be ranked higher than Delakian, but I, you know what? That's a unification fight I wouldn't mind seeing. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I, I still keep my own ratings. Yeah, I got Tanaka one, and I got Martinez two, and, and Delakian three, and then, uh, yeah, Metalani like after that. Uh, but but all four of those guys are, are are really exciting fighters, fun fighters to watch. I mean, I, well, Delakia maybe not as much as the other three, but but man, yeah. Um, you know, there's some great fights at flyweight. You know, if 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 you're listening, Callie Sauerland, and you're looking for a division to do another uh, World Boxing Super Series, that would be it. I mean, there's, there's oh yeah, flyweight, I mean, well, yeah, flyweight. and junior flyweight, junior flyweight's awesome. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I love. Guys at junior fly, those top two, the Japanese fighters at, at, at 108 pounds, um, Hiroto Kiyoguchi and Kinshiro. Oh my goodness! Yeah, well, I like that, the kid Soto too, the Mexican kid yeah. Soto who came out of nowhere and and, and won the title. Um, yeah, yeah, on, I called on, one of his fights on, on yeah. the Golden Boy card. Carlos Canizales, another really exciting fighter, undefeated guy. Yeah, there, there's definitely enough guys yeah. uh, at. At 108 to, to, to make for a tournament, too. Yeah, the little guys are, are, are fun to watch, very exciting, very talented. And, uh, yeah, Martinez is a guy. You don't have to break the bank. Yeah, exactly. You don't yeah. have to break the bank. I mean, you know. If the, you're a promoter, right, You don't, and you're a network, you don't have to, you know, you're, you're not going to overspend on those guys. And they're going to give you great fights. Right. They're going to give it. They're all, um, they all have uh, entertaining styles. Absolutely. Loeffler kind of figured that one out with the with the Superfly and uh, and definitely and, and show that it could be a draw as well, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, Martinez is a guy. I mean, Jay Harris, I, I have him like barely in, in the top 25 because um, it's just on resume. But, <laughs> but I haven't really seen him fight okay. much. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, Flyway could be one of those things where guys come out of nowhere and and and, uh, and become world champs. But but yeah, you would expect Martinez to get another knockout just based on uh, on recent resume. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely an exciting fighter to watch. So uh, just wanted to get to uh, something that was 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 in the ring uh, recently. Uh, Tom Hauser did like a, a three part piece on the New York State Athletic Commission, and Tom periodically does pieces on the New York State Athletic Commission. None of them very yes, flattering. He does. Um, he's he's a big critic of of the commission, and uh, unfortunately, I, I guess it came out. Maybe uh, I don't know if he mentioned Red Catch in there. I mean, they just you know came down pretty. No, he didn't. In Red Catch that <laughs> happened afterwards. Yeah, right. right. But uh, you know, he pointed out some poor judging and and, and refereeing, and you know, underreporting of of purses, um, which to me, I mean, you know, I don't know that that's unique to New York and so on. But the the one thing that it's struck not. me, yeah, yeah, it's not. 
Uh, but the one thing that struck me was the, they was all the do kind, that. Of, yeah. kind of lack of PED policy that uh, that uh, yeah. New York State has, which is just baffling considering, I mean, to me, the gold standard is is Nevada. I mean, they, they did a great job in crafting that policy, and I just – I don't understand why. They did. And didn't and didn't didn't Nevada partner up with Vada? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they basically deputized Vada. They're just like, listen, you yeah. know. I mean, you know, co- you know, athletic commissions are run by states. States have limited budgets, so you know, doing extensive drug testing is is generally not in the budget. So you know, we have a sport right. where there's not a lot of drug testing that goes on, and and often there was a conflict when you had these third party. Um, companies like USADA and, and VADA doing the testing, the commission's kind of like, well, we didn't do the testing. It's kind of third party, so we're kind of out of the loop. I don't know how we even rule on that. But Nevada, you know, did right. the common sense thing. They're just like, listen, as long as VADA signs up with us and, and you know, they, they have a WADA-approved lab, you know, you, you know, whatever testing they do, you know, it, it'll be as if, you know, the, the commission's doing the testing. And I, and I think that's just a great policy. I think that's smart. That's yeah. the way to go, and I didn't know this. I mean, you know, you, people are critical of Thomas Hauser. They, you know, they say, "Well, he's got agendas or whatever," and everybody in boxing has an agenda. But Hauser's one of the few investigative journalists out there, and he will ask hard questions. And if people don't want to answer him, he won't take no for an answer. Right. You know, he'll he'll do things the slow way. You know, he'll he'll submit you know stuff under the Freedom of Information Act and wait months to get a written reply and. He'll do that, you know. He's like you. He's 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 an attorney, right? And he went to law school. And people who go to law school, they're very organized. They know how to, you know, collect materials and they know how to case build. You know? <laughs> and he does that. And but I mean, honestly, it, to me, it's just asking those questions. And yeah, some of those questions you can kind of toss out, but some of them, you know, asking you know the New York State Athletic Commission why. EPO and blood doping and meldonium isn't banned in the state of New York. That's that's the, that's the kind of questions journalists need to be asking these commissions. Absolutely, because those should be banned, right? Um, uh, you know, and asking about you know the uh, New York's PED testing program. You know, does, does it go beyond just urinating in a cup? And if not, why is that? Right, right. Now th- that's important questions because this comes down to an issue of safety. Right. And then they got to be and you know what the the commission needs to be a little bit tighter, you know, like the people who don't have um you know, people whose license aren't up to date shouldn't be fighting and people who have been shot in the head should not be fighting. Right, right. And so on. Yeah, I thought And if know, he didn't bring this stuff up, who would know about this? This would just right. be stuff that New York New York City insiders just talk about and complain about amongst themselves. Right. Absolutely, and and that's fine, but not nothing changes right. if it just stays within within the industry and 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 between insiders. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I at this point in time, it seems like you know every sanctioning body, every commission, you know, should be you know it should be the WADA protocol and, and the WADA prohibited list. You know that that should be the standard. I mean, that's how it is in you know pretty much every other sport. So. Uh, you know, I, I and and boxing being so dangerous, I mean, you, you have to take all you know precautions. Um, so you know, the fact that 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 New York State is is not up to speed on that is pretty baffling and and very disappointing. And it's great that uh, that that Tom's on them about that. And one of the things too that he you know, I mean, he was talking about Big Baby and and, and suspensions and. 
um, how basically the New York State Athletic Commission just decided, you know, they're they're not going to suspend him because he's not licensed. And there was case law right. in New York about that, and, and you know, Pat English took issue with that, and you know, Tom did a great job of of promoting that in in, in the article. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that that big baby it was a cop out. It was, it a, was cop a cop out on the on the New York State Athletic Commission side. They just they didn't want to deal with it. Right. They didn't right. want a lawsuit, and they didn't want to deal with it. Um, and yeah, no, I'm glad that I mean, yeah, that that's one thing that that boxing fans are upset about. Um, a lot of this other stuff they're just they're not aware of, um, and if they read the series, they'll they, they'll become aware of it. Or if they don't feel like reading the the three parter, they can read his follow up um, twenty questions right. for the New York State Athletic Commission. Right, and he just lists out you know the the most important questions, um, and, and and I would say half of these questions could be asked of any commission in the United States. By right. the way, absolutely, very um, good point. It's and yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, and, and I think part two was the one where he was talking about the drug testing and so on. If you again, if you don't want to read all three parts, but I would recommend reading all three. Tom, like you said, yeah, I didn't know about that, and I didn't, I didn't think to ask either. Like you know, how, you know, like how in Nevada, when Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. skipped out on his Vada test um, while training at the wild card gym, they suspended his his license because he was scheduled to fight in in Las Vegas, right, and. Um, you know, when the Charlo twins skipped out on their WBC clean boxing program random VADA tests, they were still allowed to fight in New York State. They fought right. at, at Barclays Center. Right. And, um, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't, I mean, I, you know, listen, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that they're doing anything, but, um, I think, I, I think there needs to be a message that it's not okay. Right. For, I think there needs to be consequences. Right. Some real consequences for fighters that skip out on 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 random drug testing. Right. And it, it's it's a bad. And and I think, you know, like in, in the articles and I guess, you know, just kind of reading between the lines. I mean, you know, Pat, Pat English's point was, you know, New York not suspending Big Baby. You know, I mean, you know, the Ali Act and, and people who want reform in boxing and want some consistency and, and you know, between the states and you know you know uh, some sort of you know mechanism in place where if someone's suspended somewhere if they you know that they can't just run to another state they can't just do you know forum shopping and 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 fight you know that 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 the united states is you know kind of right. one unit um and you know the point you make about the charlos that that's a really good point now if New York had adopted uh, the policy that that Nevada has, where they've deputized Vada. If if you're like you know if you skip out on tests, that's a problem because now it's like you know it's not just yeah. it's not just you know you're skipping out on some third party's test. Now it's like you're skipping out on on the right. state's testing. So you know there would be consequences. Exactly. So that that is a big problem in New York, and yeah, you know, I just wish we really had more consistency between the states and standards that were uniform uh, across the board. Um, but yeah, you know, Big Baby, uh, was in the news. He signed with, uh, with Top Rank, uh, recently. Um, you know, the, and, and because of this drug issue, you know, they're, they're a little, you know, wary, like, you know, where, if he can get licensed somewhere, or certainly in a, in one of the bigger jurisdictions, I would not be surprised if they brought him back in, you know, somewhere in like Mississippi or someplace like that, or outside hmm. the country where, uh, 
where right. you know they can they can kind of avoid scrutiny as opposed to bringing him back in in Nevada. But but what, what do you think well, about maybe they top- take him? Maybe they take him to the UK. <laughs> maybe they take him to England. Right. You know, he's he's either a, a comeback opponent uh, opponent for Tyson Fury if Fury loses on February twenty two, or he's a he's that first title defense. I don't right. know. Right. What do you think about? Yeah. I mean, in 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 general of, of top rank signing him, you know, a guy who's you know tested uh, for all those. I PDs. think it's. A, I, I I keep saying this throughout this this podcast interview. It's a bad look. It's a, bad, a lot of bad looks in boxing. <laughs> I think it's a bad look, to be quite honest. Um, I think he needed to. You know, um, I think had after he got popped. Um, I think had he enrolled in like a one-year program, like a, a one-year VADA program, the way Canelo Alvarez did after the clenbuterol test, right. um, I'd feel a little bit better about it. Um, if he had some kind of ongoing 24-hour random drug testing, uh, drug testing program um, that let us know that he's turned over a new leaf and that he's going to be clean and that he had to be clean – um, I'd feel better about him signing with a major promoter. Um, having said that, I know he does move the needle a little bit. He's not the most entertaining boxer out there, but he does have that Brooklyn gift of gab. Right. Um, he is a vibrant personality. He can sell a fight. Um, I, I I totally understand why um, Eddie Hearn wanted Miller to be the 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 U.S. debut opponent for Anthony Joshua. Um, especially since Joshua was going was debuting at Madison Square Garden, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know. It's uh, I we it, it'll be interesting to see, and I don't know what, what Top Rank's plan with him is going to be. If they're going to get him a, 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 an easy fight or two, just to kind of reintroduce him to the public, um, and how he's going to address his past uh, transgressions, that'll tell us a lot. Uh, may, maybe he says the right things. Um, to where people forgive him because, you know, as as loud as boxing fans are about uh, PED use and PED testing, there's really only a few fighters that they really kind of just retain their heart on for. Right. You know, like Canelo, if you're a Canelo hater, he's going to be a cheater forever. You're just going to say <laughs> he's a cheater, he's a drug cheat. I hate him, he should be out of boxing, you know. And at the same time, you're going to cheer for Luis Ortiz or Alexander Povetkin or, you know, Ray Beltran or any number, uh, a dozen or so fighters who have tested positive for banned substances. Um, Lewis Neri, the little guy, they, folks love him, you know, and <laughs> it doesn't matter that he tested, that he, not only that he tested positive, that he actually fought with that stuff in his system and obliterated a, a decorated champion, you know. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. You know, fi- you know, listen, boxing fans like, like the, the general public and, uh, you know, there's selective outrage out there. So, I mean, who's to say that Miller isn't one of those guys that they just kind of shrug their shoulders after a while and just forget about, you know? I think there was a little bit of outrage when Billy Joe Saunders tested positive before that Demetrius Andrade fight just because he'd come out so hard against Canelo. So, you know, he looked like like a hypocrite. Right. But you you don't really hear people bring that up a lot or really, you know. um, I don't know. Maybe that's just because he's he's sort of under the radar. But... We'll we'll see we'll see right. if, if if it if if it's a scarlet letter for for Big Baby right you know if 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 or or not if if it'll stick or not it sticks with some but honestly if if we're being a hundred percent honest and stick with a lot of guys 
Right. You know, they, they, they get suspended. They sit out for six months to a year. They have a few fights back. And they're back in the rankings. You know, uh, who's the guy? There's a guy from Japan that tested positive for like a synthetic testosterone um, after he beat Tevin Farmer. Kenichi Ogawa. I think that's the guy's name. Right. Um, I don't know what his excuse was, but, you know, he was he was he was stripped of the, the IBF title. It was a title fight. He was stripped of that IBF title and he was suspended by the Japanese Boxing Commission. And he was suspended by the Nevada State Athletic Commission and he was dropped from the rankings. Um, and now he's, you know, he's like top three in the IBF. He had a couple <laughs> fights and he's back. Well, I think, and I think he's, I think he's ranked by the other, by other organizations. He hasn't really fought anybody, but he's, he's back, you know, well, that's I just mean, the way it is. What you're saying is, is it's, it's even more prevalent and most prevalent in the heavyweight division. I mean, you look at the top 10, you got Tyson Fury oh, who, who had drug problems. You yep. have Dillian White who had drug problems, Lewis Ortiz. Yep. You know, Alexander Povetkin, Big Baby. I mean, Big Baby yeah, was a top 10 heavyweight. Um, some of these guys had those problems as amateurs <laughs> exactly. or in other sports. Like Big Baby, that wasn't his first positive test. Right. He tested positive for some kind of banned substance as a kickboxer exactly. in the state of California. So exactly. It's like some of these guys, it's more than once because Ortiz is more than once and Povetkin is more than once. But no, it's not. I mean, it, yeah, there's a lot when you look at like the heavyweight top 10 and, and ranked heavyweights, but – I think it's prevalent in other in other weight classes. I mean, sure. uh, like I said, Kenichi Ogawa is a junior lightweight. Right. And um, I'm thinking, like, where is he? He's ranked right now. He's number three by the IBF. Mm. Um, yeah, nothing yeah, happens. Yes, he's yeah. back in the IBF, and he's back in the WBO. He's number eight by the WBO. Right. He, I mean, I don't think he's anybody difficult, you know, but he was dropped. and it's, So it's not like, yeah, he, he misses a year, and then and he's back. Right. And if you're not like a superstar – Nobody's talking about it. Like if you're a hardcore fan, maybe right after it came to light that he tested positive, maybe you're you're up in arms about it for a couple of days, but then you forget about it. Right. Um now big now big Bates, he's a name. He's a heavyweight. Maybe fight fans will have longer memories with him. Mm. Um but it remains to be seen. Right, right. now the only guy where it's a to, to my knowledge where testing positive is a true scarlet uh letter for at least a certain set is, is Canelo Alvarez. Right, right. Yeah, I think with what Big Baby has going for him is that he's there's not a lot of good U.S. heavyweights. You know, I mean, beyond Wilder, I mean, and, and maybe Michael Hunter. Yeah. I mean, you know, name another U.S. heavyweight right, you, you'd even put in the top 20. He's so – he's marketable. Yeah, he yeah. is. He's he marketable talks a lot. I mean, he speaks uh, English, and he's, he's got the gift of gab, man. He does. He those, does. Those Brooklyn heavyweights, He man, can talk they, for they, sure. They got it. Thing is, though, I mean, for top rank, I mean, I, I just know, you know, because I'm in New York um, and, and, you know, Big Baby's for Brooklyn here. Um, I mean, Big Baby's left kind of a trail of uh, of managers and unpaid lawyers. And I mean, his relationship oh, yeah. with Dimitri Salida was was is was really bad. I mean, it, you know, they recently. Oh, was, yeah. It, it remains bad. Yeah. They had a lawsuit. <laughs> they had a settlement. And then, you know, Dimitri kind of like, you know, accused him of, of breaking the settlement. And one of the things was, you know, he accused him of making really anti-Semitic uh, remarks and they attached some emails and texts he sent to Dimitri and they were just really like brutally bigoted. Oh, so it's like, yeah, yeah. big, you know. All I have to say I, the top I rank is each other too. good yeah. luck. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with handling yeah, big Yeah, buyer beware. He's, yeah. he's a handful. Yeah, careful what you're dealing with. 
Careful what you wish for. That's right. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that, that but, was... like, you know, it goes back to that desperation thing. It goes yeah. back to that desperation thing. Right. And you're in the Tyson Fury business. You need marketable opponents. And right. these other guys are have um, promoters that have allegiances with um, different platforms. They're not right. You got ESPN. The, the, the three big silos. What do you so do? Everyone's just, you know, you know go, going after whoever, you know, to, to, to try and beef up their roster. So... But um, all right, well, let's. Uh, last thing I got for you is I, I just wanted to to ask uh, what uh, what fights that are that are pretty much made you're you're looking forward to in in, in for the rest of 2020 beyond February. Well, definitely Chocolatito's return. I'm I'm nervous for him, uh, but I want him to win. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be rooting for him, um, and that's okay because I'm not gonna be ringside. I'm gonna be watching on TV. <laughs> looking forward to Gary Russell's return. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's been scheduled yet. I don't think it's been scheduled yet, but um, uh, it, it, it is happening, and that's the Lomachenko Teofimo Lopez fight. Yeah, I think that's, that's the supposed one I'm to, looking forward isn't to. Isn't like, yeah. <laughs> aren't they talking about May? Yeah, and, and I hope it I hope it winds up in, in New York City. Yes. Because um, I'll definitely fly out to to uh, my, my place of birth uh, for that one, and that's that's a fascinating matchup. I, I favor Lomachenko in that fight just based on his that style and his boxing IQ, his brilliance, and his experience. But I think Teofimo is a very live dog. He's dangerous. He's got, he's, he's got his own experience, and he's got an athletic, unique style himself. And um, that's going to be fascinating to watch unfold. So that's one I'm really looking forward to. Looking forward to the return of the monster, Nioa Inouye, and him returning to the U.S., uh, I think he's going to be fighting. Um, uh, is it the Mandalay Bay? I think it's uh, they announced it April twenty-five, sometime in April, yes. late April. He's he's returning. April his twenty-five. Top ranked debut. ESPN. Yep, April twenty-five against John Real Casamiero, and that's a, a unification fight at at bantamweight. And in a way, is Ring Magazine hundred and eighteen pound champ. So I'm looking forward to that. I think he's sensational. He's awesome. I wish I could have been in uh, ringside outside of Tokyo in Saitama. Oh my for, god. Um, for the Donaire fight, yeah. Stand by Donaire. Oh my Ugh, god! But I mean, just watching fight. that, just watching that on TV, I was beside myself. I mean, yes. I was having heart attacks. It was incredible. <laughs> um, so uh, he's one of my favorites, and I want to see him ringside. Um, yeah. And uh, so I'm looking forward to those fights, and I'll definitely travel to be there to witness those fights live. Absolutely, yeah. The the Casemiro fight, uh, yeah. I was, you know, just you know, looking on the 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 internet today, and and uh, Adam Abramowitz had a really good post. Just that Casemiro, he's like one of these guys who. So so under the radar, but I think he was saying, you know, the guy was a champion in three different divisions, and and what he did to Tete, yep. I mean, man, he just destroyed. Oh my Tete. goodness! I mean, that was a fight. He, really he came did. in as an underdog. In, he's in that dangerous. Fight. Yeah, yeah. So, he's dangerous because he's wild, and he's not not intimidated by anybody. Right. He's a, he's a um, a road warrior. You know, He'll go you go into another fighter's home country into their backyard, and the way he swings, um, he'll hit you in the back of the head. <laughs> I mean, you don't turn your back on that, dude. right? Right. Because he just he, he has wide looping of winging shots. and looping yeah. his punches. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's dangerous. Yeah, and it's you know I mean listen yeah. credit to Anui too because Anui just went through the freaking World Boxing Super Series. He went through the gauntlet to yeah. to to unify all those titles, you know, and fought a, a brutal fight with a you know broken orbital bone and and everything with Donito Donaire. Yeah. And he's just like, you know what? Give me some more. Give, give me, oh, that guy's got a title. Let, let's go. And, uh, you know, man, credit right, I'm to I'm telling him. you, the little guys. I'm telling yeah. you, sub featherweight, <laughs> sub bantamweight. They don't. No, I mean it. They they don't cherry pick. Right. They don't look for the soft spot. 
No they doubt. don't look for weak links, man. They, they, you know, I mean, whether they're getting paid or not, it's kind of like if they're a champion, they want to fight other champions. Absolutely. They want, and they, and they don't, they don't duck away from dangerous mandatory challengers or top contenders either. Um, they're like old school fighters. They just, everybody in a certain division will fight each other. Absolutely. And if they didn't fight it at one weight, they'll fight it, you know, three or four pounds heavier. You know, yeah. I'm still holding out for uh, in a way versus uh, the guy from Mexico, Estrada, um, our our junior bantamweight, Estrada, yeah. Francisco Estrada versus in a way. I love it. I always love a, a Mexico versus Japan matchup, <laughs> um, and that's that one. That that's those, that's two elite guys. Yeah, two legit pound for pound level. That is a prime matchup. Yeah, Estrada is is. It'll is very responsible defensively and and yeah that i think he, yeah that would be a great uh, matchup for anui yeah i guess the the i mean I, I agree with you on all those fights i'm looking forward to the fights that you mentioned um i'm also looking forward to uh march 21st they're finally going to have the cruiserweight final in the world boxing super series and i think you know Breedis and that'll be fun and, and dorticos um yeah that's that's going to be an, an absolutely great fight i mean those two guys are are, are bangers they come to fight um, you know, this is their second yep. time around the World Boxing Super Series. They showed well the first time around. It came up short. So I think that that, that yeah. could be ring a Ring Magazine, vacant Ring Magazine title because it, it was vacated by Alexander Usyk when yes. he moved up to heavyweight. So they're number one and number two. And uh, so the, the, the Ring Magazine Cruiserweight Championship will be on the line. And, uh, yeah, you, it's a can't-miss fight because um, Breedis is just a rough – he's a rough customer. Yeah, he's kind of like Casemiro. Don't turn your head. Don't turn your back on that dude. He will <laughs> clock right. you, and you definitely don't want to foul him because it. he will come back harder. No, <laughs> yeah, no, he's a rough, rough cat, and I mean, he gave Usyk a tough fight. So that, yeah, he did. That tells you all you need. To know. Maybe Usyk's tough. And Dordikos, yeah. it's a yeah, he's rainy. He's a Cuban guy, you know, with that that, that amateur background, but he's aggressive, yeah. and he's not a southpaw. He's an orthodox dude with a long reach. But he he walks forward and he's he throws a high volume of punches and heavy hands. So and he's I looking mean, to put you out with every one of them. Yeah, it's be wild. yeah, that that's just sure does be a fun ass fight. I'm really looking forward to that. I guess um, two fights that don't have dates right now, but they went to purse bid and and uh, and they've they've you know uh, you know they they you know a promoter won them and and. Um, you're going to see, uh, I mean, Patrick Chichera, um, you know, not a guy who I, I really highly regarded, but, you know, pulled an upset, you know, in, in, in his last fight. Um, you know, I yeah, against not, Carlos Adamas. Yeah, I didn't think he'd beat Adamas. And, and through about five or six rounds, I still didn't think he was going to beat Adamas. But, uh, but he came on, man. He just, he just waited him out. And, uh, and he's fighting one of my favorite guys. I love Brian Castaño. Um, who's who's a little bit small, you know, a little short at, at at junior middleweight, but man, just great hand speed. You know, when he when he lets his hands go, it's just he's just like a blur. Um, and you know, to yeah, share that's a fun fight. That's probably out. gonna that's probably gonna fall in April. I think that's gonna fall in April. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm really. Looking I, that's forward what to I that. think. I could be wrong, but yeah, I think yeah, that's no, an that's, excellent match. Yeah, that's gonna be a good fight. And uh, and and yeah, and know, Castano's um, Castano's very live. I don't know if he's the underdog. Uh, he's he a challenger, <laughs> but he could very well win that fight. No, he I'll, shouldn't be. I'd make yeah. him the favorite. He's more proven fight. than yeah, yeah. Chera. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then the other one I'm looking forward to is uh, is you know the, the aforementioned uh, Nunito Donaire challenging uh, Nordinu Bali at uh, at bantamweight. I think that that's yeah. uh, that's a real class match. I mean, Ubali has shown you know in his last couple fights. I mean, he's former Olympian, got a great pedigree, really tough yeah. out. I mean, to go to Japan and beat Nunu, very Inui, strong. Yeah, yeah. 
Yep. I mean, he came, <laughs> came to yeah. the States and he beat, you and know, Rashi good. Warren. I mean, he's he's a road warrior. He's got great pedigree, very difficult style, lefty, in and out, he's strong. Physically strong, too. Yeah. Yeah, very strong. He's got better boxing skills than his pressure fire, fighting style would allude to. Um, real good on the inside, good at walking guys down. Um, and he's defensively responsible too. Yeah, tough to hit. So that you know, Nonito's got his got his hands full, and especially you know, coming off of that kind of emotional letdown where he, he put it all on the line and, and just came up a little short against Anui. Uh, we'll see if he can can rebound and, and take on another. Yeah, I tough wonder if there's. Well, yeah, I wonder what's left. Right. Because with the with the Inoue fight, I think it was one of those scenarios where it's a great fighter having that last great fight, that right. last great effort. And he gave it. Yes, <laughs> yes, know? he did. You can't keep going to the wall. Right, yeah. right, absolutely, absolutely. So that that one is definitely an intriguing one. But uh, but hey, man, listen, I, I really appreciate you taking taking time out, Doug, uh, to, to to talk. Uh, you know, I always always love chopping it up with you. And uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I'll, I'll see you when you come out uh, for Lomachenko Lopez. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, Kurt. Thanks for having me on. Cool, man. All right, man. Take care. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It In The Ring Network. I'd like to thank Doug Fisher for taking the time out to speak with me. Really enjoyed it. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. Really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, do not forget to check out my companion piece to this podcast on ringtv.com. It features quotes and background on my interview with Doug. And until next time, so long, everybody. Did you get what you was looking for? <laughs> 